Hey, Finn, how you going? Oh, I'm, I just had a very uh, fun hour trying to get some audio equipment to work. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, and is it working? Uh, absolutely not. There seems to be somewhat of a power imbalance between <laughs> our voices right now. I've always wanted to be a guest contributor to This American Life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, welcome to This American Life. I'm Emma Glass. Uh, this week on the show, there's plenty of Finns in the sea. <laughs> Stories of people named Finn doing their business until it's Finn-ished. Act one on the program, Fickleus is Wickeless. And here I got contributor Finn Nicholas with me. Hey, Finn, how you going? Well, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing fantastic, Ira. I'm, I'm very excited to share with everyone about the story of how I lost all those candles. So, uh, and the, and the candles are a, a pretty crazy uh, thing to start collecting. Can you tell me how that started? Well, uh, when I was very young, I was, uh, I was captured by insurgents and tortured uh, by having a uh, wax dripped all over my face. And then I got addicted to eating wax. And then, uh, of course, once I was released from torture, I uh, kept up my wax eating addiction by buying and consuming uh, more candles than any person in history. Um, and a lot of people uh, out there, uh, the younger listeners will know the, the, favorite, the famous drill tweet, maybe the best tweet ever made about the man whose family budget includes $9,000 <laughs> for candles. <laughs> Uh, and his family is starving there's, someone. There's, there's, that there's, was based there's, there's, on there's, you. There's just so many yeah. jewel tweets you could say uh, made you the best tweet of all time. If anyone hasn't, uh, if, if anyone like has the money to buy a book of tweets, I highly recommend Drill's book, Mr. Ten Years. Uh, it's one of one of the funniest pieces of writing of all time. Yeah, uh, I, I one day I was getting, I was getting, I was on the train across uh, Great Britain. Uh, I took the train from from Gosport way at the bottom. Many trains. No, man, I wish there was just one all the way up to to Edinburgh. Um, and, and along the way, I drank a lot of beer because <laughs> we don't really have trains. And as much as I know, is is it's horrible. Being on a train and being like, I'm on this for five hours and I can just get beers is <laughs> incredible. And so I just got increasingly drunk and read that book of drill tweets. And it was, and I was listening to car seat headrest and it was a genuinely <laughs> magical time uh, in my life. And, and uh, that, that, that country is so beautiful. Anyway, no, um, here is my. I think, obviously, if you could only choose one tweet to be remembered, it would be a drill tweet. It's all about which one. And mine, I think there's a clear winner, which is all in caps. If the zoo bans me for hollering at the animals, I will face God and walk backwards into hell. Uh, I'd just like to tell you that, uh, that that's exactly between. I was just thinking. I was if, if you didn't say, it, I was going to say that one as well. That it is genuinely <laughs> and like the the crazy thing about drill is that drill is like Herzog, and that I think it is very clear that that <laughs> drill. Gets it, yes, <laughs> like no, through reading through, and like uh, that. It is. It's insane that the two greatest controversies, the three great controversies <laughs> of drill. One is him doing that joke about the Keebler elves with yeah. the anti-Semitic brackets, which is so clearly a parody of people's use of them and not anti-Semitic. 
One is when the multiple times he's been doxxed, to which the internet has responded like, who cares? Yeah. Yeah, like, who, who gives a shit? And the third is when he got a TV show and everyone was like, oh, no, good for him. Yeah, okay, <laughs> cool. I mean, it, it probably won't be good, but, like, yeah. Like, oh. But, like, what, what Drill has captured so well, right, is, is like, the, the, the tone of madness that has arisen in political discourse, right? Like yes. he he did, he was he is better at Donald Trump tweets than Donald Trump is. Yeah, the the reason I sound like uh, uh, I'm Roman Mars, the organ in ninety nine percent invisible this week, the design of um, Mork <laughs> microphones in Finn's house, just refusing to work, Garage Band. When Apple put together GarageBand, they were like, Johnny Eves thought, we need to make sure this just absolutely refuses to work for Finn Nicholas on the 6th of September 2021. Yeah, you know what, Ben? It's a very effective design. Most yeah, people I'm, wouldn't have noticed. I mean, yeah, there's the five principles of design. One is use, one is elegancy, one is, um, what is it like? Oh, is that it should have character. One is that it should look a part of its world rather than dominating it. And the last is to specifically fuck over <laughs> New Zealand comedian and podcaster Finn Nicholas. Um, yeah, no, uh, not not to dwell on it too much. But yeah, no, we have just had a very horrific time uh, of doing all the right things. It is not difficult to connect a microphone to an interface to a computer. And it just, just, just not happening. Uh, horrific. Yeah. Um, and and uh, anyway, uh, hopefully better next time. That's why it sounds like I am God watching Finn on a Zoom call, because that's what it's like. I am Finn will notice a, I used, uh, last time we did this, we, uh, we had no camera on my end. This time if Finn looks, he will just see a black screen. Uh, yeah, it's uh, very unnerving and it makes me uh, feel like I'm talking to, uh, a ghost, maybe uh, definitely something malevolent. Do you do you see that it is not a blank screen, but is in fact swimming with static? Uh, yeah, I, I can see like, like right, 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 right over like the, the left side. It, it, yeah, but there's like a whole bunch of kind of like green like yeah. static. Yeah, because it is from a closed laptop. This is like open windows. So the reason we may sound pretty loose is that we have already spoken for essentially the standard episode length of one of these, but all of it was like, oh, you know, it's working. Okay, now it's not. There was a whole bit about me faking a funeral to get to reunite and Angelina Jolie and John Voight after... Um, yeah, it was, it was a great bit that you'll probably never hear. So yeah, uh, uh, it, it feels, it is now night, it's dark, it's 6pm, I dropped off the microphone at 3.30, so we should just fin. Yes. Uh, we, so we just need a good joke to go into the, the, the opening with your intro. Cool. So uh, you, have you, you, you got anything in the tank? Um, I mean, no... Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a crudely reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. And we want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, 
we're watching it number 47 on the Psyche Sound list. Abbas Kiarostami's Closer, a metafictional documentary about fraud, filmmaking, and how we engage with art. Our second film this week is The Sarkeesian Effect by Jordan Owen and Davis Arini. Uh, oh, just like a real bleak two and a half hours at the movies, guys. <laughs> Kurostami's uh, 1990 close-up. Uh, it, it, it's fiction, it's fact. It's a documentary based on a real thing, and including those people playing themselves, sometimes in recreations, sometimes in the actual moment. Yeah, this was sort of his international breakout. About like three years before this, he'd made the film Where Is the Friend's House, mm-hmm. uh, which was the first of his films to get an international release and like awards recognition. And then three years later, he, he comes back with Close Up, and that's a film which makes people really pay attention to to, to him as a filmmaker. And, and like the really crazy thing on that is that this film, it's he uh, Kirstami is an Iranian filmmaker. This is a film uh, set in Iran, um, and it was hated there. Yes, it got terrible reviews, um, and it was the international circuit that saw it for for what it is. And yeah, he had been on the film festival circuit before, but this was well, and you can tell like there is, I, yeah, I think this film is magic. Mm-hmm. There, I, I, I get the Edward Yang feeling, and that you could recreate this shot for shot, and it would not feel the same. I have now seen the three of Abascura Stein's films. At the end of the last week, I watched Where's the Friend's House. And then yesterday, I watched Through the Olive Trees and then Close Up. And I've, I think he is going to end up being one of my favorite directors. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I feel the same sort of thing I felt with like uh, with, with Yang after watching Yi Yi at a Brighter Summer Day. Where I'm just like, I, I, I have to see everything from, from, from this guy. It's like, this is like a way of looking at the world, which is like, rooted in filmmaking styles which i've seen before like like he's obviously drawing a lot on on like neorealism and like docufiction but if you like way he presents it feels so personal and so unique to 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 him seeing where is for friend's house the other day i felt like the same level of stress that i felt watching uncut gems but this is like a neorealist film about a child trying to give a school notebook to his friend and he doesn't know where his friend's house is yeah and we feel like it, it is this incredible piece of like humanist drama, which is also which also like functions as the most tense frilly you've ever seen in your life is is amazing. Yeah, I have seen that close up Taste of Cherry, which was his <clears throat> Palm Door winner. Yeah. Uh, and I think the wind will carry us. I did a bunch all at once, but long enough ago that I can't ju- I just know they're good. You yeah. know? Like, like, and obviously, I remember. I remember all those shots of those hands holding that notebook. <laughs> um, and but he has, yeah. We talk a lot on this about, like, really the thing that separates filmmakers is how they look, like the way they look upon people. And, and there is this, like Yang, uh, I think, like Sharma. Uh, there is this sense, like, like Mike Lee. Uh, there is the sense of him 
caring a thousand percent about everyone. Yes. His, yeah. his camera falls on even like this and, and the way he just lets people share their side and genuinely without judgment and then giving you the pieces in, in a way that shows he's telling you a story, but is not telling you how to judge it. Mm. You know, it is, it, it, is this the best film that doesn't really have an antagonist? Uh, possibly. Yeah, because they're all and like oh, it's, the other one I'd say would be Patterson, the Jim Jarmusch film. Yeah, um, which I'm yet to see, um, but I will. I'll get to it. Um, oh yeah, I just keep I keep meaning to do all of Jarmusch. Yeah, because uh, I've seen I've seen the hits except for that because I hate Adam Driver. I wow. find him uncompelling. <laughs> yeah. That that's untrue. I love what a that angry wide man. <laughs> That and just incredible flapjack of a human. Um, but so close up starts um, with a journalist and some cops getting in a taxi, and, and they're they're driving to some guy's house to to a family's house, uh, and yeah. they're talking about this guy. This guy we're about to go pick up. He has been pretending to be uh, a film director. He's been pretending to be mostly Mahmoud. Who is uh, who? Who is uh, uh, like uh, uh, along with Kiarostami, the other major internationally recognised Iranian filmmaker of the time? Yeah, yeah. Because obviously, since then we've had uh, uh, Asghar Fadi, and obviously, yeah. I mean, Persepolis was not made uh, in America, but Marjan Satrapi. The other one that comes to mind is Babak Anvari, who, who directed Under the Shadow. Oh yes, of course. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I've not seen any of his work, but uh, that's my fault, not his. Uh, I saw the movie he made of Army Hammer. It's uh, weird. Do you think Josh Pence, who was the other Vinklevoss twin, the guy mm. who had his face replaced, oh, yeah, yeah. Is, is like sends messages to David Fincher every day being like, hmm, someone chose wrong. <laughs> hey, Fincher. Um, and, and, and this taxi driver is great. Um, they're all great. Everyone in this film is great. Yeah, he, now he, he's played by a real taxi driver, right? I, I like. I hope it was also the taxi driver. Yeah, you know? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it was. But yeah, everyone in this movie is the people who were really involved with these events, but they are playing themselves in recreations of of, of these events, uh, except for the trial, which is the real trial. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there are some other bits where that, which are just interviews. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they turn up to this place, but he doesn't have his audio recorder. So he goes around knocking on doors as this paint can clatters down the road, the spray can clatters down the road asking for audio recorders. And it just should be like describing that just sounds irritating. And it you know, was, he, 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 he kicks a spray can down the road and, 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 and the camera follows the spray can rolling down, down, a, down a slight incline for about 40 or 50 seconds yeah. while, yeah, while he is knocking on people's doors. And, and yeah, it's and, uh, entirely captivating. And, and every time he knocks on doors, he says exactly the same thing. He gets the same responses. No, we don't have one. Then someone has one. And you hear it... Th- 
three, four, five times mm. and it should be nothing. It, yeah. And it is just but that you're just watching this man just having a weird day. <laughs> it, and because we know he's just been in the car talking about like, oh, this is a great story. This is like the story. Those great journalists like Peter Bogdanovich <laughs> is one yeah. of his examples. Only, the only they get. This is my moment. And then you just get to spend some time with him. And like, yeah, and the taxi driver's like, I don't know who those people are. I mean, they've never driven in my taxi. And you're like, oh God, I love you. Uh, and, and they work out the time in with the cop. I'm just surprised that that the 60-year-old Iranian cab driver in 1990 had never heard of Peter Bogdanovich. Like, he... You think he'd be prime material for like, uh, for, for, for fucking what's up, Doc? Oh no! I, I thought his response would be like, "Oh, oh yeah, no, no." I, see, I had Orson Welles in the car once, and he said that there was <laughs> yeah, this guy called Peter Bogdanovich who would just not leave him alone. <laughs> um, but then we cut to Kiristami interviewing the family at the center <clears throat> of it, and they're like, "So that article came out, and you shouldn't believe it." Because it acts like we didn't know. And the father is like, I knew the whole time, <laughs> put it on this macho front. And the son is like, I'm not a dupe. Sure, I love the arts. And I love, I, they always say film and literature. Yeah. Um, and, you know, but I, di- I did suspect something. And, yeah, I thought it might get me work. But I don't, I don't want to be a baker. <laughs> I've got an engineering degree. And, you know, my brother-in-law, no, my elder brother, he has an engineering degree and he's a baker. And the mum is like, hey, no. He, he runs a bakery. He's not a baker. <laughs> and, 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 um, and the son's like, yeah, but he, he, sells, he sells bread, mum. And, and the, the, the daughter is sitting there in some incredibly fashion glasses, rolling her eyes throughout. <laughs> And she is maybe, you know, Brie Larson and Don Juan apart, and Don John apart, the silent character who I've got the best impression of, because she is clearly just like, oh my God, you guys are all losers. Yeah. Kiristami is here because we were conned. Ugh, how embarrassing. <laughs> um, and it just feels, and it is just... Just one camera just panning around the room, the, these muted but dynamic and dense images uh, of family life oh and it, it's just enchanting and yeah. th- and then we then it interviews police guys for a bit and, and that gets a bit weird because they're like oh you wouldn't expect it from him you know the, it's the two guys who arrested him you, yeah. would, you know con men have a look about them yeah, and I'm yeah. like oh, okay you can you confessing to profiling but mm. um and then, then do we meet him finally? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, it's about uh, twenty uh, to thirty uh, minutes uh, in when we yeah, finally meet yeah. him. Yeah, that's when Kurosawa goes to prison and he meets the star of the film Hossein Sabzian. So, for anyone who's not fully clear on what the premise of Close Up is, this man Hossein Sabzian, he was on a bus once reading a copy of the screenplay uh, to, to a film called The Cyclist, which was a film uh, written and directed by a director called Mohsen Mahmoud. And a woman sat down on the bus next to him, and she asked him where he got a copy of the book from, and uh, he said uh, a bookstore. And then she asked what bookstore, and he said, "Oh, you 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 can just have it. Uh, it's okay. I wrote it." And she said, "Oh, so you're you're he's clearly lying." Well, no, but he's also. It's just a moment of like, I don't know, like when I am in a, a, a taxi, 
mm. or, or uh, you know, when people ask me what I do in situations with no impact, I will lie. Right. Like, yeah. I like, like, if taxi drivers ask me what I do, if, if you know, like, wait staff or, or shopkeepers, I, I like to, and because just you, for that you, moment. You like to tell them that you're mostly Markovas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh, no, it's like there was a period where I enjoyed telling people I had different jobs in the music industry. <laughs> right. Um, but not like, I'm not like, oh, yeah, uh, you may know me. I'm jo- Joey Ramone. But like, no, I'm, you know, I'm an A&R guy uh, for a couple <laughs> of different small small records, you know. And yeah, I, I make sure my, that. I, I, dis- I discovered Lord. Yeah. But yeah, I was the person at that school talent show. Yeah. Um, but it is, uh, um, but in those moments, it is just an impact-free, like flight of fancy that I know will have no impact. Mm. And as much as we we see a recreation of this moment later, and, and you, it just seems so clear to me that he was just like, "Oh, I'll just say this just for mm. a moment," because. It would be nice. It would be nice to be able to think of myself as Mose Markovov for a second or two. Yeah. And uh, he told this woman that he was Mose Markovov. She believed him. She like thanked him for giving her the, the, the copy of his screenplay. Yeah. Uh, and they, they like exchange contact information because uh, he, he kind of gets a bit too into it. He, so almost immediately he's like, yeah, and your, uh, your, your kids, uh, if, do they like movies? And she's like, yeah, yeah, my kids like movies. And he's like, oh, well, uh, here's my number. They, they could uh, call me if they want to and uh, talk about movies. Yeah. And uh, over the next few days, uh, they, uh, he, he like goes over to the house a few times and uh, uh, he, he like gets kind of close to the family. He, uh, he tells them that he wants to make a movie in their house. Uh, he borrows some money. Uh, from 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 one of them, he like he he uh, he 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 stays the night. One night, they'll go out to the movies together. Like he 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 like really gets into the character of being of, of being Mose Markovov and wanting to make a movie with this family. And then yeah. after a few days, they get suspicious. Uh, they call the police, uh, and he was arrested and put on trial. And it was kind of like a it was like briefly like a really big uh, it, was, it was like a big public thing in Iran in, in the late eighties. Yeah, the the opening credits are, are the it being a front page story uh, yeah. in the newspaper, written by the journalist we saw in the first scene, and like Kiristami saw that article immediately stopped uh, pre production on the film yeah. he was currently working on, um, and then <coughs> went to do those interview. I believe this is went to get those went to meet him uh, in in the prison. And then did those interviews we see with like legal admin workers yeah. being like, can we film in the trial? And then they filmed the trial, um, which makes up a big bulk of this film is mm. just this incredibly soft and grainy long lens footage. Well, close up lens, they call it, hence the title um, uh, uh, of this trial. Anyway, um, but yeah, and and they the the family with varying degrees of certainty across the family members say that he was probably planning to rob them. They think mm. he was casing the joint um, by pretending, and that going to see the film. They went to see the cyclist, the film he the script he was reading. Yeah, um, was about getting them out of the house so they could be robbed. 
that didn't happen and I don't think that was ever true. No. You know? No. It, 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 it doesn't seem like it. No. And, yeah, so in, 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 the, in the, like, trial section, uh, people keep asking him, like, okay, why, why do you pretend to be Mosin Markovath? And he goes off on these, like, long, digressive rants about kind of everything. But yeah. like, he says very vague about all the details of why he did what he did. And, and he, he the, the, like, thing that he keeps coming back to is when I see movies by Mose Markovath, it feels like they're expressing the suffering I feel in my soul at all times. And yeah, without looking down on me, like mm, he yeah. feels them too. Yeah, he feels this deep connection to the films that Markovath makes. And he doesn't have, like, a great life. You know, he, he has, like, a shitty part-time job at a print shop. His wife left him. Uh, yeah. he, he lives with his Because he mom. showed no prospects. They were living yeah. with his parents. Yeah, um, and, and, and so when he's, like, given, when, when he's like given an opportunity to be someone who is respected and, and like, well-known and trusted, he kind of, like, jumps on it. And it, 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 it allows him to, 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 like, define himself positively for, 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 like, once in his life. Yeah, it is. And, and, and that's part of, like, the, the joy of this film is that no question the judge or Kiristami asks ever has an easy question, even easy answer. Yeah. Like, he, like, the real answer to why he kept doing it is, I don't know, there's a great bit where they're like, well, when did you think they'd work it out? And he was like, I mean, I knew they would eventually, but I, I don't know. Like, and they're like, what is your end game? And he's like, who knows? Yeah. And it is, it is. The, 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 I think the, the like, judge asked him, so you, you're, you're, you're told them you, you want to make a movie with them in, in, in the house. Were you thinking of getting money for them to, to like start production? And he's like, oh, Oh, maybe, but like, oh, I, I probably wouldn't have let it get that far. And it is, because what it all amounts to is, yeah, it's just, is kind of, is the pain of living, mm. uh, 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 of the desperate uh, need to, to kind of want to be seen. Yeah, and, 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 and like, he, 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 and like, the, the, the like, film understands, like, he, he, even though this guy did do something wrong, and he, he like did commit a crime. It never like makes him out to be a villain. The film was always so deeply like understanding and, and like empathetic towards everyone. But but yeah. like but like especially him be like person who needs it the most. Yeah, and it is and it doesn't this film could so easily like the the way we learn about the fact that he's divorced and how horrific that's set up, it seems his family life is. Um, is through his mother interjecting in the trial. Yeah. Uh, like once or twice, maybe a total of 50 words. And it is, and Kiristami understands that that is just enough to color, whereas almost any other film would spend, th- like that would be half the film, that would be the mm. B plot. But no, like we get the feeling, we get the kind of desperation that's in all of them. We, get, we meet the this need to be seen and this need to be seen as respectful. Like the father's obsessive saying like, Oh, but I knew, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and the, the, the son saying, I just want, you know, maybe I could have been creative. That would be nice. And it's just all the, the things these people so desperately want and how the situation kind of gave it 
to all of them. Yeah. And it just like it is so, like with I've never pretended to be um, <laughs> Iran's most famous director of dramas. <laughs> but I absolutely relate to this guy and his experience. Yeah. You know, I mean, admittedly, there was that time that I was on the bus um, reading the screenplay of Clerks 2 <laughs> uh, and someone sat next to me and said ah oh, Kevin Smith uh, Kevin Smith screenplay and I was like oh yeah you can have it I, I wrote it um, I'm Kevin Smith and they're and like I said, oh, no thanks I don't want the screenplay of Clerks 2 no <laughs> they said oh Snoogans Snoochie Boochies Snoochie Boochies yeah can, can you can you take uh, what are you working on now I said I'm working on Clerks 3 and I'm looking for a, a house to film it and they took me to their house and I got them to put on oversized uh, jean shorts and and, and, and and do some heroin and uh, no let, let's be clear a lot of my, I mean, Smith's relationship with Muse has been about keeping him off heroin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, like, but, but like, but you, you, you were all about the, ver- the like, verisimilitude. Yeah, no, I did get them all addicted to heroin so I could get them off. And then I recorded a sequence of Smod podcast, Smodcast episode. No, sorry, it's Jane Silent Bob Get Old um, episodes about it called Me and My Shadow. Right. Um, which is if you if you ever want to listen to a Kevin Smith podcast, those the the ones about Jason Mewes' recovery journey, are interesting and touching. Yeah, I think I've probably listened to both at some point. Um, but at, at any at every point that I was like, they they know I'm a New Zealander. They know we are in Auckland, New Zealand. They know like Kevin Smith is so famous for being from New Jersey. You know, the tri-state area. Even if all that other stuff wasn't true, I'll be able to tell that I'm not cancer because I'm not constantly posting pictures of myself crying at Marvel movies. No, I, I did start to do that. Oh, okay. Just being like... Uh, that was you getting into character. Yeah, and then, like, you don't know you've hit rock bottom until you're borrowing $50,000 off a Howick family to set up a movie's facade. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, also um, weeping it for the dark world. Yeah, I mean, I just, that scene on the London Underground, it's definitely <laughs> not the only scene I can remember. <laughs> uh, Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, sure. Um, the first time I watched that film uh, was Illegally. Ooh. Um, ooh. and it did not have subtitles for the dark elves so I was like this is an incredible creative choice that there's a whole the villain B plot you just pick it up from inference of what they're saying yeah it's like how Jim Henson wanted to do the dark crystal with, with the Skeksis with the just speaking their Skeksis language yeah. You know, with no subtitles. Yeah, well, uh, I, I agree that, that Thor the Dark World and the Dark Crystal are very similar. Yeah, they both got the word dark in their name. And they're both just incredible. Just <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. And they've both got cat dennings. Yeah, they're both full of gelflings. <laughs> um, I mean, like, there's probably a gelfling hidden somewhere in Thor the Dark World. Well, I'm sure like Anthony Hopkins is half gilfling on his mum's side. No, I'm pretty sure that's just Welsh people you're thinking of. Um, no, well, I think that's your racism towards the Welsh. 
It's it's not racism. Not, if it's not, true. Not all Welsh people are gelf like you. <laughs> Look, I I'm leaking this news about the Welsh. <laughs> Get it. Get it. Mm, yeah. I don't want to drag in, drag on. Right, yeah. Um, I don't know if you'd care if Cardiff <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and that they are all girlflings who like to swim like swans in the sea, Swansea. Right. Have you seen that video of uh, <laughs> Have you seen the video of Anthony Hopkins uh, where he's at an Andre Rue concert and uh, they're like, like Austrian violinist or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and Andre was like, hey, my, my good friend Anthony Hopkins is in the audience and, uh, and, and tonight we're going we're gonna to perform a piece that he wrote like 60 years ago. And then they perform a, a waltz that, that Anthony Hopkins wrote when he was in like, university. Oh, it's, wow. the first time it's, it's the first time it's been performed publicly. And you get to see Anthony Hopkins just like start crying as this piece of music that he wrote almost his entire life ago is being performed to like thousands of people. <laughs> It's, uh, I, it's incredible. I can't watch that, but only because I keep myself to crying at Anthony Hopkins performances <laughs> once a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like Christmas. Um, and, but yeah, we spend a lot of time in this trial, in the these long takes uh, of people talking and listening and and just getting this deeper and deeper and kind of denser tapestry of who these people are and how they got to this moment. And it is uh, just all-time great filmmaking. And the fact that it is real, like, this is a great drama and it's a great documentary when docodramas are so often one or the other. Yeah. Uh, I love the thin blue line, but no one is going to watch that just for the reconstructions, as good as they are, you know? Yeah. Um, and then it, it and and spotted throughout that we get more reconstructions. We get um, their their meeting um, the when he was arrested. Um, a couple of others in there. Yeah, we um, we, we, we get sometimes he he like went to the house to to like put their children through rehearsals. Yeah, and it never operates in the storybook. Well, so you know what happened that day. Well, cut. They are often they are before they are five, ten minutes before or after that moment has been discussed. Yeah, and it's just always presented as like pure documentary. But 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 you but you know it's absolutely not. And it it, it, it trusts you to know what is recreation and what is and and and, 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 and what is like actual documentary and yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and and it gives you that trust. So then it builds to this point where he is like, "I'm sorry, I I admit guilt." And the judge is like, "Well, the family, can you forgive him? Can you be? Can can you see him becoming a good person?" And like, they're like, "I guess." And like, the son is like, "Well, if he goes and gets a good job on the straight and narrow," and I'm like, "Calm down." Maybe yeah, you're the yeah. antagonist. Yeah, but then they're like, Dad, the family stands up in front of the court. Yes, I'm willing to draw my complaint. He's admitted what he did was wrong. He's promised never to do it again. That is, that's good. That's good enough for me. And I'm, yeah. I'm willing to forgive him. And then, and then does it go right from that to, to, to him getting out of jail? Um, I believe so, yes. Yeah. So because the family forgave him, he gets a more lenient sentence from the judge. And so he's in jail for like a couple of weeks. And then on the day when he gets out, 
this whole scene is shot at like a massive, like a massive remove. It's shot from inside a car in a parking lot, probably 50, 60 meters away from the incredibly long lens. Yeah. Yeah. And so in the car is Abbas Kiristami and his cinematographer. And, uh, and their sound recordist. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Because about the first minute is being like, we've only yeah. got one microphone going. This stuff is, there's a loose wire. This stuff is 15 years old. Yeah. And it's, and yeah it's, it's the second tensest uh, <laughs> sequence around uh, radio mics um, after, of course, Blowout. Oh, you still and haven't or, seen or it. Touch of Evil. Oh, well, see Blowout. Okay. Touch of Evil yeah. is number three. Okay. Yeah. And it's still, it's a strong number three, but like, Man, you ever want to see Brian De Palma? Uh, anyway, torture people with a radio mic. Anyway, um, so while, while, while they're sitting in the car talking about uh, talk, talk, talking about the sound, someone pulls up on a motorbike, and that person is uh, the real Mose Markovar. Yeah, who uh, is the per- is the person yeah. they have mic'd. Yes, but yeah. like it, the the beautiful thing, the thing that always sits with me is that they start by being like. Oh, we must have missed him. It should be now. He's not mm. inside. Oh, okay, it's ruined, and we can't get this shot again. Oh no, yeah. there he is. Uh, he's behind the taxi. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, you were saying up on the motorcycle yeah. comes. Comes mostly He gets on his motorbike. Uh, he walks up to a jail, and out comes Hossein Sabzia, yeah. and they see each other, and Hossein just like immediately begins like sobbing. And, yeah. ju- and just like, and, and just like grabs, and just like grabs Mosay Markovar. Well, I, I think Mosay grabs him because it looks like he's about to fall over. Right. He's grabs. Yeah. Because yeah. it is like, he's like, I'm so, oh man, it is just a, oh, just a triumphant moment of emotional yeah. catharsis. Yeah. It, it, it is, it is beautifully captured. And it, is, it is like such a, like, it, it is such a generous moment from Markovar to like yeah. agree to be in this film. And meet with this man who's been imprisoned for impersonating him, and 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 like be, be like the first person that this guy sees when he gets out of jail, and and to like treat him with such warmth and such compassion, and yeah. and, and and just like make him feel fully welcomed back into society again. Um, and and uh, it's a very early on. Uh, he's like, "Hey, would, yeah, you're tired of being me." <laughs> oh, I know I am. <laughs> and it is just and in this and it's like it's just the perfectly pitched joke because it is like it acknowledges it, but it, and like the the way this film holds this moment uh, uh, of of this man's kind of like uh, shame and pain it is so like this moment never feels uh, like it is milking emotion that it does yeah. not deserve and it never feels like it's exploiting this moment no yeah it, it, it could so easily feel it could so easily feel like it is mocking Sabzian like it is mm. taking advantage of the like parasocial like feeling that he has for Mark Bath. but no it, it, uh, it feels it feels so genuine and it feels like the feelings are understood and like returned by Mark Mubar. And then Mark Mubar takes him on the back of his motorcycle to the house. Yeah. Uh, they, they get some flowers on the way. Uh, and, and as they're driving on the motorcycle, the, the, the microphone is cutting in and out. And so we just get brief moments of them talking to each other on the motorcycle while holding these flowers. 
Yeah. And like most of it is not subtitled, but like just knowing that these guys are talking and, and that they can see each other, that they both get the chance to see each other as real men, mm. if you know what I mean, as true men. Or like not men is not the important part, but it's like people. Yeah. You know? Uh, uh, that, that neither was ever pretending to be the other or themselves. Um, and then they arrive at the house and they knock on the door. There's an intercom and first of all, Salziangu goes up and he, he pushes the button and the person inside the house says, who is it? And he says, uh, it's Jose it's Salziang. And they're like, uh, who? And he, he just sort of goes, Mr. Markenbach. And then a member real Mosein Markenbach comes up and he pushes the intercom button and says, hi, it's, it's Mosein Markenbach here. And then the, 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 fa- the father comes down, he opens the door, and he meets the real Mosey Mark and Buff for, for the first time. And yeah. the two of them embrace each other and, and talk about how happy they are, they are to meet each other. And then, uh, and then, and then the father turns to, uh, t- t- turns to Hossein and, and then looks at him. Hossein has like started crying by this point. Yeah. He sees, uh, he, he, he is, he's not the same man you met last time. And then the father looks at Hossein and he says, we're all rooting for you, and, and we all know that you're going to make us very proud. And yeah. then, I mean, it, it zooms still on, on Jose's face; his eyes still kind of downcast, and the the, the flowers that he's holding, like kind of like rough, 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 rough like showing right right into the frame, yeah. and it freezes. Credits roll, and just uh, spontaneously started crying when it happened. Uh, yeah, one, one of the most beautiful endings to a movie I've ever seen in my life. Well, because uh, it is like when we talked about Charles Lawton, uh, I talked, we did a bit that was real about how, how Lawton looks into monsters and, and, and sees humanity. Yeah. Uh, and, and you pointed out oh, my subtext, which was accurate, which is that I hope he looks into my monstrosity and sees humanity. <laughs> and, and that because it is what what this guy did, and that he drew it out for so long. They they arrive, uh, him and the real director arrive at the house forty days after he started. You know, yeah. um, uh, he'd been doing it for nearly a month, or maybe like it is. Uh, it's more than a prank, you know. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 bizarre, but there is a humanity as to why he did it. And part of that humanity is not really knowing what he was doing and why. And there are so many bits of my life, and I hope everyone's life, that feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And, and that Kiristami and that everyone in this film can look on this man and, and see that. It gives me hope that we can do that with anyone. We can look yeah. at anyone. And, and that if, if we can look as Kiristami does, like honesty, honestly and clearly at, at, at people and what they want. They just want to be loved and seen and have prospects. Yeah, I just, it, it, it's an incredible gift for a film to give. And it's incredible to, to make a film that encapsulates that so well without ever feeling didactic. Because mm-hmm. this could, it could be a Hallmark movie, so hard, so easy, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it could so easily fall into like, Oh, th- th- this guy, he pretended to be somebody who wasn't, and that's bad. But the nice family, they forgave him, and now everyone's friends again. 
but like yeah it, it is not it it, it 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 always embraces the like intense complexity of of, of like be, be, be like be, be like strange morality of of like what everyone is going through and and how there there's there's no real way to like fully make a moral accounting of what's happened here yeah and and, and that Kerastami has built it in a structure that is a structure of tone and association that builds pace and lingers on moments it does not conform it to a story arc. Mm. There's not really a viewpoint character, not even Kiristami. Mm. Um, and by pointedly, refu- um, you know, finding its shape in something other than story uh, and, and trusting moments and, and like the accumulation of feeling rather than the, the, you know, a character saying they won't do something at the beginning and then doing it at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, the version of this film that starts with the, the father going, I'll never forgive him. And right, the angel's yeah, like, yeah. I forgive you. Because um, that is false. That's not how people are. Like, it's <clears> so hard to capture how messy and crunchy real life feels. Yeah. And again, and it's, it's like... This it's, film it's, does. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like a, a courtroom drama with multiple big speeches where none of the big speeches really change anyone's mind or are particularly like... Or, or are even like to- totally like eloquent, yeah, okay, it's, it's really, yeah, yeah, no, exactly, and like yeah, it it is oh, yeah, it, no, it's it just it just it does every it does everything exactly as well as it can be done. I think I'm not not even fully sure how to talk about it more really. Yeah, no, you're like it is. It's a docudrama, which is such a clarified form. And, and and like the eighties were a big era for it. Yeah. So this is coming at the end of that, and, and he is mastering and kind of defining the form by just looking at it and going like, "Fuck everything! I don't need to tell you what's real and what's not. I need to try. I, I need to trust. I need to trust. I need. I need to trust you to know." And, and going like, "I don't need to." To put moralizing in this, I just need to let the the people be and look at them. Mm. He didn't so much throw out the rules as just go like, how how do I look at this moment? What is the right way to do that? And he chose the right way. And uh, like the other thing worth mentioning is in the reconstructions, and like I think that interests me the most is that of course this ending sequence when the real director shows up. Um. Is, is where the two things intersect because it is, it is staged and it is real. Yeah. Uh, and we don't know how much in either direction. And, and like ending it with that gesture it is such a good idea. Like it seems so obvious that, you know, a guy spends, it's a film about a guy who pretended to be the director and he should meet the real director at the end. <laughs> but doing it in this way uh, and the fact that in the reconstructions, the all the performances are so good, not only from non-professional actors, but from non-professional actors playing themselves, which is dangerous. Yes. Like there is, there, there, there's a host of bad performances that have come from that. Yeah. Um, um, people are like playing themselves, like, yeah, not, not, non, non-professional actors playing themselves in recreations of like of like very emotionally charged events that they went through less than a month ago. Yeah, it, it's like and, and and like the reason I stress that is to be like 
because like part of the success of this is Kiristami's luck. Like he placed a bet and it paid off. Yes, yeah. But also, like they did a great job of directing it, and like yeah, the, oh, the, he, 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 he is he is like all, all, all of the films I've seen from him so far have cast like entirely or, or almost entirely of of like non professional actors, mm. and all of them are filled with incredible performances. And like I, I think he he is probably the best person I've ever seen at getting like, real gritty grounded performances out of people who've never acted before. Yeah. Um, oh, and often often playing themselves. Yeah. Um yeah, absolutely. Um um but another thing where uh, the other person who we should mention is uh, Ali Reza Zarandas who uh, was the cinematographer. Right. Yeah. Um because this is a film that is uh, uh, incredibly beautiful. Yes. Uh, and uh, and even in this, the hard documentary levels of it, when we're in that um, courtroom, and this grist, oh, it's so grainy, you guys, <laughs> and it's so washed out. They are pushing the shit out of this film, um, and it is uh, just incredibly like the 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 way this film finds its aesthetic in its. Um, issues in, in its story is just incredibly strong mm. um and uh yeah no it's sound like it is it's yeah. it's top 10 sound uh everyone should see this oh my god you know like i, I don't i unless you cannot speak persian um and and can't for whatever reason read i don't know why you wouldn't get something out of this film yeah because also, like the other bit of luck is that they're all a fucking, cha- they're all charming and nice to spend time with. So it's not like, as much as we've talked about it in this very meditative way, which is the film's due. It's not like it's it's not solemn. Yeah. It's got life. It, it, it is a like very brisk ninety minutes, full of really really interesting characters. There are some pretty funny parts. There are some parts where it's like where it's very tense. Even beyond being a like work of metafiction about how we engage with art, it is also just a great film. If, if you want to just watch a movie, it works on that level as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but it is just uh, uh, the the power of cinema. There are so many different things that are powerful in cinema, but 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 one is to in in ninety minutes introduce you to people and make you feel as if you have truly met them. Mm. And in a way that they have met you, even though that is absolutely not true. The the parasocial thing, the parasocial, the word parasocial, which is, a, again, a descriptor that is not inherently negative. You know, so much of our relationship with podcasts is parasocial. But I think that's yeah great. It is just not podcast hosts shouldn't be your only friends. <laughs> and you shouldn't you should keep that thought in your head. Do you know what you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, but I, I, I just started subscribing to a bunch of Patreon, and yeah. uh, now, now I'm, I really do feel like they're my best friends now, and I'm cutting yeah. everyone else out of my life. And I'm just <laughs> going to listen to, I'm just going to listen to them play. Uh, uh, I'm just going to listen to them play the Keep RPG of Alex Ross Perry over and over again. Okay, so g- good, and I'm sure that if you were to meet them and use all the information you have about their lives. 
to uh-huh. start an uh-huh. overly you're, you're, intimate you're, conversation. Your apartment, big, nice. Yeah, I like it a lot. That'll, that'll go just incredibly well. Yeah. And just be absolutely real. But like, yeah. So what I'm saying is close up is an incredible work of parasocial art. And that is not a bad thing at all. That's part of its power. Um, but yeah, it's great. It is hard to, like, I can understand how people who have categorized for themselves films as just escapist entertainment, like, uh, like I want to, I want to see films about hot people doing kick flips in front of explosions. I can, yeah, I can, I, under- I, I, I just watched from, I just watched from Matrix again a few days ago for like oh the first time in six or seven years. And, yeah, <gasps> just 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 seeing the opening sequence of the Matrix again, and you you, and it's like it's Carrie Ann Moss in, in, in the leather in slow motion uh, <gasps> beating the shit out of police officers is like the greatest flyer movie I've ever seen. Oh, and and then it ends a flurry, 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 jump up, kick, you know, bullet time in the face. What the fuck was that? And then she lands in that perfect silhouette and with that yeah. perfectly timed look into the noir camera. And like the the thing, I want to go back to to nineteen ninety nine to 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 mid city Hoyts in Wellington <laughs> to myself in the second row, um, and, and and go like, okay, this is great. Also, this is going to be just as great every time you see yes. it for the rest of your life. Like, like, holy shit. <laughs> um, and, and I'm glad we both agree. Yeah. Uh, and everyone does. You know, who, who could come for Kirstami? Who could see close up and say, no, no, I prefer a wide, you know? Uh, you've all found someone. And I, 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 are we having more technical difficulties? Because... Um, I think you just said that you found someone who doesn't like close-up. That would be uh, cuckoo crazy. Uh, it, it, look, it, it certainly looks cuckoo, cuckoo crazy from where I am. But oh, I found wow. a half-star review. Okay. Is, is, it a, uh, is it someone trolling for likes? Uh, I don't believe so. And, and oh. if they were, it wasn't successful because this review has zero likes. Good. So uh, this is a half-star review by Letterboxd user Wiley Gamis. This film did not need to be made. What is supposed to be a hypercritical analysis and and reality blending of this guy's brain and the intentions just turns into a beatdown. Kicked him while he was down after they changed shoes twice. The artistic endeavor in the guy's head for why he did that and subsequently this film is just not necessary. This didn't surprise me, nor did it interest me after... uh, uh, nor did it interest me after. I was underwhelmed. What is supposed to transcend film just undermines it instead. Uh, okay. So I know it is difficult. Um, there, there are a lot of big issues around people doing things like this. Uh, and and the, I'm, I'm about to use a word that is not shouldn't be used lightly and there are proper tests to do. But I'm 100% sure that this person is a psychopath. <laughs> Uh, that they've never felt anything in their life. I re I re I rewatched. Um, we need to talk about Kevin recently because yeah, I was I was like, ah, oh, you know what? I need to feel just relentlessly sad. Um, and it is it's it's a modern masterpiece, uh, a, a soaring work, and, and it's 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 the worst of Bloom Ramsey's feature films, but it's still incredible. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, it's the curse of making a five-star film when all of your others are six-star films. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Oh uh, no, I would re- I would put it above Ratcatcher. I think okay. Ratcatcher has some growing pains, but um, but like the thing, and especially in in young Kevin, well, no, toddler Kevin, mm. the coldness she gets in that performance oh, of yeah. this horrific psychopathic child it is something that I thought it's kind of unmatched. Mm. You know, the, this kid who kind of feels nothing but wanting to destroy and control his mother until I encountered this person who watched close up and said this did not need to be made because like nothing no film needs to be made like if people are going to make films one would hope they would make close up you know so uh would you like to guess that Riley Gelps's top four films uh I I mean uh yeah, I mean, with, within it's a fun game that we like mm-hmm. to play, but it will require you know me, Hannibal. This is my designing into the mind of one of the most vile creatures on the earth. So, like, I, I yeah, I'm happy to, but I won't, I won't enjoy it. Okay, well, uh, it's it's, uh, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because uh, one of the films is about uh, trying to get inside the mind of a vile psychopath. The cell. No. Um, okay. Uh, are there any documentaries on this list? Uh, no. Okay. So, um, oh, uh, in cold blood? No. Okay. Is it, oh, all right. Getting into the mind of a vile psychopath. Is, is the psychopath Hannibal Lecter? It is not. Uh, okay. Is the psychopath, okay. Do, is it, okay. Hmm. Is is this a scary film or a serious film? Uh, it's 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 scary what it says about humanity, but it's more of a serious film. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, that was a very funny joke that has not helped me at all. <laughs> <laughs> just just as, okay, so you don't you don't like this film? Have I seen it? Oh no, I I, I like this film. Oh no, I thought you said well. I don't like what this film but like uh, anyway. Okay, so it's about... Uh, uh, this, this, film's, this film's incredible. Uh, okay, is it, all right, so is it, it's an American film? No. It's a British film? No. Is it a oh, downfall? <laughs> no. Uh, is it, so is it European though? No. Is it Japanese? No. Korean? Yes. Uh, okay, is it, all right, so uh, is it a park? It is not. Is it a bong? It is. Okay, is it, uh, is it, uh, Memories of Murder? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, maybe uh, Okja. <laughs> uh, the, the, the second film on the list is, uh, the, the, the name is what you would get if you took Rogue's catchphrase and put it through Google Translate into uh. Spanish. Uh, Itumama Tambia, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rove was uh, an Australian uh, chat show host. Uh, our attempt at uh, uh, Conan, uh, who who was also syndicated in New Zealand, and he would always say, say hi to your mum for me, yeah. while he, having he, he, a threesome with Diego Luna and Gael Garcia Bernal. Yeah, the, 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 this guy who had like the most popular show in Australia and New Zealand for like a decade, his, his, his catchphrase which he would end every show with was say hi to your mum for me. Every, yeah. every week an entire generation of children was raised to think that the guy on TV just fucked up mum. Um, and like, 
apart from that, he was, and like, this is not a diss, he was a milk toast standard middle of the road talk show host. Yeah, no, like, he, 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 was, he was like, a, he was like a pretty fun, he was like a, yeah. he, 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 was, he was like a fun short guy who, who like, who was like, oh, looking like that. But yeah, then he said he fucked up months on every episode. The film on the list is, uh, so it, it's, 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 it's one of, uh, I think, uh, it's, it's, it's one of several films that the star made last decade about them moping around this particular city. Is it a James Franco film? Uh, no. Um, is the city right. New York? Uh, the city is not New York. Is it an American city, though? It is an American city. Okay, is it Los Angeles? It is. Now, I'm going to say this actor made uh, three films about them moping around this particular city last decade. Uh, was it, is it Joaquin? It is not. Uh, okay. Who else has moped around Los Angeles? Like everyone. Um, is it all right? Is it a recent film? Uh, yeah. Uh, how many words in the title? Uh, three. Uh, okay. All right. Um, so it's not under the Silver Lake. No. Is it Garfield though? Uh, no, that's no, not Garfield. Uh, is it any of the Spider Men? Uh, no. Uh, all right. Um, is it a writer, director, actor? No. Uh, okay. Uh, genre, roughly. Uh, uh, the, 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 the genre gives it away. Uh, but, uh, but the genre of the other two films about moping around Los Angeles, no other sector, are neo-noirs. Oh, La La Land? Yes, La La Land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, the, the, how the many ways, how different clues are we having to come up with for La La Land? La La Land is, I think, our most common one so far, right? Yeah, there's come a bunch, and and uh, and, and uh, number four on the list has also come up uh, recently. Oh, uh, singing in the rain. Uh, no, uh, not 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 quite that recently. It's uh, 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 it was the, it was the inspiration for. Uh, 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 the the name was the inspiration uh, for a Simpsons episode, oh, and and like the concept of uh, the, the like premise of the movie and the and the and the name were the yeah were the inspiration for, for for a Simpsons episode. Does it have the word about in the title? Uh, no. Okay. Um. Uh, it's not. You only live twice. No. Uh, no. That's the one Simpsons I can think of. You can only move twice. Oh, right, anyway, yeah. um, with with Scorpio, um, oh, okay. Give me an, give me, uh, uh, feed me another tasty clue, please. Okay, I'll give you some of the names. All right, Catalini, uh, Guy Kibbe, H. B. Warner, Eddie Arnold, Lula Bondi, Eugene Pellet. Okay, Claude uh, Rains, Gene Arthur. Okay, I definitely should know now, eh? Like it's so obvious, but it's the Simpsons thing is throwing me. Um, uh, uh, what other? So like a whole episode parody. Yeah, yeah. This is a Lisa centric episode, and it's about it's about uh, it's about her being faced with the fact that her that uh, that, that, that that all of her ideals and beliefs about America are built on fraud. Oh, um, oh, so Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cool. cool. Anyway, uh, I've not seen that film. Either. I probably should. Yeah, but also, uh, I don't know. It just seems like one more step in 
the American self myth that I can avoid, you know? Mm. So, Ben. Yes. Is that it? That's the four? That's the four. All right. Now, we've spoken about this before, but like I look back over my life and, and I, I think the same is true of you. And we can see many moments where we, we could possibly become the enemy. Mm. The, 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 the darkness in it, that we, we could become incels, we could become racists, we could become uh, radicalized. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that and watching the Sarkeesian effect um, really crystallized what I see as the difference. Because I'm battle <laughs> a lot with, uh, uh, with, I hold some views very staunchly about about what I see to be right and what I yeah. see to be wrong. And I um the thing I the Sarkeesian effect opened up to me, and I mean this entirely sincerely, I'm not leading to a punchline, is that I am much more ready and willing to understand that I can be wrong about things and to understand that I've misinterpreted things. Mm. Um, one thing I don't think I've misinterpreted is the Sarkeesian effect, <laughs> which is in short, a two and a half hour rebuttal to things people never said. Uh, uh, correct. Yes. Um, it is like someone going into a maths class, uh, and, uh, uh, and being taught that one plus one uh. equals two and then making a two and a half hour long documentary about how that maths class is anti-polygamy. Like it is, there are so many points in this film that the only comparison we, I can, the, there are two clear comparisons to make. One is with N Neil Breen's work, but mm. Neil Breen's work is, and this is a compliment to Mr. Breen, um, more coherent and better achieved than this. Yeah. And, and the other is the test, because uh, Saville, as a filmmaker, does not understand how much his ass is showing, right? Mm -hmm. In The Sarkeesian Effect, a film which has one IMDb trivia entry, which is talking about how Jordan Owens, the writer, director, editor, and narrator, apologized for it in 2020. <laughs> and that's kind of like a part of me wants to be like, that's all you should know. It is the one, you know, apart from films that are literally evidence, this is the one someone should actually really apologize for. Yeah. So um, let's do a bit of like table setting on what this film came out of. Yeah. So there was a real problem. With, with, with bitches. With, with corruption and games <laughs> journalism. Uh, see, um, we also, all, so the, 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 the thing about Anita Sarkeesian is she, the, the, the like, whole ethics and games journalism thing started like two or three years after people had already decided that they hated Anita Sarkeesian. That, 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 was a, that was a later addition to the yeah. to, 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 to whole thing. So, so, so in, in the like, early 2010s, uh, 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 there, there, was, there was a... Like, a uh, very obscure, like YouTube, uh, uh, YouTuber, like uh, fem feminist cultural critic called Anita Sarkeesian, and uh, she she made 
pretty standard pop feminism videos about pop culture and, and how they related to feminism and misogyny and patriarchy and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, and the format of tropes versus women. So, yeah, she started Kickstarter for a series called Tropes vs. Women in Video Games where she was like, hey, let, let's talk about the place that video games have in upholding and expressing patriarchal and misogynist views, which is uh, a pretty uh, standard thing to do, I guess. If, if, if you're, a, if you're a, a feminist cultural critic and, be like, and, and you are working at a time where like, the major form of entertainment that is consumed by everyone is video games. That seems sensible. And the thing with that I would stress at this point uh, is is that her content that she made with um, many collaborators is what I would, and I do not consider what I'm about to say an insult, but uh, is is incredibly middle of the road. Some of it is very self evident. Yeah. Um. Uh, to the point of being like, there is a lot of damsel in distress narratives in video games. Uh, and then, uh, you know, nine minutes of examples of that. It's, it's, yeah. It is good content that it exists. It's good that someone has done the work. But it is not like... Um, I, I've never seen, especially in her video game content, Anita Sarkeesian make a claim that anyone that I could... That, that I would even begin to disagree with. And that's not because she's so right... But it's because, yeah, they're quite mild takes. Yeah, they're like specific takes about, uh, about the gameplay mechanics of different games, which you can take issue with. But, but yeah. like, the, the, like, the like wider points she's making are, yeah, pretty obvious and standard. And, 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 and so when, 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 she, when, she started, when she started this Kickstarter, uh, this made a lot of people very, very angry. Yeah. Uh, because people don't like having to think about things. Well, and it began the the kind of the core assumption of this, uh, a thing that that at least in the content in, in the tropes versus women content, which is the Sarkeesian content I've seen uh, as it was coming out, and I watched a bit for this. She begins almost every episode saying, "Let us first acknowledge that you can enjoy things and think things are good." while still understanding that they contain problematic material. Yeah. It is it is a core part of her mission statement, both explicit and implicit, that if she is using a game as an example, it is not an immediate denigration of the game. Mm. And it is not part of what she presents, how she presents it. I don't think at any step along the way would you engage with that content and go like, Anita Sarkeesian wants to ban video games or Anita Sarkeesian thinks the Zelda games are bad because Zelda herself has never been the lead in a main in a mainline Zelda game. You can hear that, you know, Zelda is a damsel in, in distress and still, and I don't, yeah, I don't think Anita Sarkeesian is mad at me for enjoying Ocarina of Time or, or yeah. Doom or Hitman games. Um, she just wants me to know that, like, uh, there are problems. So, yeah, Finn is about yeah. to talk about the, the response to Sarkeesian's work. But I, do, I just want to dwell and emphasize, because I think the original sin uh, of all of this 
is people hearing a criticism of something they like and thinking that person is telling me I am wrong to like it. Yeah. Or, and, and uh, that person is saying evil. I am wrong and yeah. that I am evil, which is like, I know I, I, I'm just, I'm laboring this now because I just, it's this, this is like every line of this film you would reply to with, but no, but that's not what's happening. Yeah. It is, it is, it is a basic adult engagement with the arts. They're like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm recommending, I'm really trying to get you to watch all of Evangelion. Evangelion, like, has some gross shit in it, and I know there is gross shit in that, in it. But I'm not, and like, people have pointed that out. I don't think they're telling me I'm bad for liking it or that yeah. I'm evil. And it is, that was the response. So many people being like, how dare she? She says that we should ban all video games. But sorry, you were saying. Yeah, so when she released this Kickstarter, because people who like self-identify as gamers are some of the most insecure people on the face of a fucking planet, and like nerd culture is the disease that needs to be stamped out, people responded to her very negatively. And she received a lot of harassment and threats, and basically the internet became unusable for her for like several years. Yeah. And like... I've there have been times I've gone into like slight disagreements with someone on Facebook, and I would just like dread to check Facebook for the next like day or so. And like, yeah. I cannot imagine how fucking awful it must have been for for, for her to go through all of this shit. But um, so I'll tell you if you want a uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah no for 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 my for my uh, my my perspective on this is I, as we possibly have discussed before. I, I was in a Twitter conversation with, with my old colleague and good friend, Al Hunt, well, in which right, we yeah. were having a hypothetical conversation about what defines horror. And it was um, a nerd shit like conversation talking about like, oh, if horror is about the unknown, can mm. horror films set in space? And it boiled down to, is Alien a horror film? Uh, which, to be clear, it obviously is. And, yes. But like, and it was the whole point of like, it is the opposite of oh, Die Hard's a Christmas film. Is like, well, if you take this definition of horror, Alien isn't a horror film. Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, she became Twitter's main character for the day. And so, I, I as the person being at replied in the tweet, so I was not the target. Um, and I muted it incredibly quickly and got a lot of filters going and like happily used Twitter. And, uh, you know, a couple of times I tried to be like, why are you coming to the rest of my Twitter to tell me this? Uh, this you're insane. You're not making any good points. And then they, of course, told me that my platonic friend who I worked with, <laughs> you know, 10 years ago, wasn't going to fuck me. Whereas like, I've, I have genuinely known that since before you were in primary school, probably <laughs> like, that's not an issue. Um, but even like, and it was not, but even the, the splashes that came around the sides that, uh, of, of muting and blocking things were so repellent and annoying and the same thing over and over and over again. So like this argument that is like, well, no one's like you, you know, not that many people are sending death threats or doxing you 
are like when that is in the middle of a wave of people being like, oh, fuck you, you fucking idiot. Like you feel the impact and that it was and like, to be clear, I was mildly irritated for a day. Like mm. it, it, it I, I am no victim. Uh, uh, no, no one got hurt. Um, it, it must be it genuinely must have been hell to be any of the women discussed in this film. Yeah. And I'm including the women in this who are brought on to speak against uh, uh, Anita Sarkeesian uh, it, uh, as Aunt Lydia's. Um, uh, uh, but actually, the Sarkeesian effect, I think, pretty does a pretty incredible job of proving that none of that happened by showing screenshots of it happening and then saying it didn't. I don't know. I'm, not, I'm yeah. not quite sure. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll like show, they'll, they'll like show images of like, of, of like rape threats and death threats and, and then say, hmm, but it's, it's, it's hard to connect this back to Gamergate. Hmm. Hmm. You can't, you can't prove, you can't prove it was related to us in any way. Yeah, so in about 2014, after Anita Sarkeesian had been like enemy number one for about two years, in the middle of 2014, there was a new development where online gamers uh, found a new woman to attack when uh, when uh, some guy whose name I can't remember broke up with a woman called Zoe Quinn, who was an indie game developer, and published a long screed about uh, what a bad girlfriend she was. And a lot of people said, oh, she was a bad girlfriend? She makes video games. Oh, we have to destroy her life now. And yeah. so it'd be like, same thing happened with her, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, it, uh, it, and it, also, it's, like, it's, even it's, saying no. she was a bad girlfriend is like one guy wrote one blog about how he thought she was his girlfriend. They were never committed to monogamy and she slept with other people. And so mm. he was like, like, it was, it, it was like, it, it does not matter what Zoe Quinn did. Yeah. But also she didn't even do anything. Do you know what I mean? Holding those yeah. two things. So, not that so, it matters, but she didn't even. Yeah. yeah. So, so this, this led to, uh, this led to what, what is now called Gamergate when famous limited range actor Adam Baldwin uh, yeah. coined the term on Twitter. So if you want like a good in-depth analysis of how all of this shit got started, I would really recommend a, a YouTube video called End Note 5. Uh, colon a case study in digital in, in digital radicalism, uh, but by by the YouTube channel Innuendo Studios. Uh, it's, it's about fifty minutes long, and it kind of takes you through the the, the whole. Uh, it, it takes you through the, the like whole thing from gamers initially getting mad at Anita Sarkeesian up through Zoe Quinn and Gamergate, and like until now essentially, and 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 how an entire section of of online gamers. And atheists uh, became essentially radicalized into the far right by uh, some woman making some YouTube videos. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's very good stuff. Uh, so in, in like mid 2014, uh, two 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 guys who were like involved, uh, who had been like long time like right wing YouTube guys, Jordan Owen and Davis Arini, uh, both decided that they would uh, that, that they would get together and make a documentary about Anita Sarkeesian and Gamergate. And uh, Jordan Owen is this, like, Ayn Rand-worshipping weirdo. I'm not a big fan of, of the, like, oh, lives, lives in his parents' basement, uh, hairy, smelly kind of, like, like insults when it comes to people, but, like, 
I mean, you are belief, you are a hairy man, in, in uh, speaking from your father's house. Yeah, but I, I, li- I live in a uh, I live in a, a very like sun drenched room uh, with, with lots of. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like, no, it's a boomerang um, generation. It's all, it's yeah. all good. It's all but, good. But, but so, like, there's kind of no other way to describe Jordan Owen. He, he is he is exactly what, what you think of when you hear about a, like, misogynist, libertarian YouTuber. He's, he's, uh, he's what that looks like. Um, I disagree with that, but that's only because I think Thunderfoot, who features quite heavily oh, in this film, is what I think is, is, is what I think of that. Um, uh, he is, yeah, he is the major authorial voice of this work. Uh, as yeah. we've said, writer, director, editor, he didn't shoot it. I don't no, think anyone was, did. Well, so it, it was, uh, the, the, the cinematographer is listed as Davis Arena. Uh, um, who, who was initially the co-director of the film. Davis Arini is even more right-wing and crazy than Jordan Owen is. Oh, I, yeah, but let, let's get him, because my, my point on Owen is in the final version, um, uh, the version we saw, the Jordan Owen's cut, it was labelled, um, yeah. is that he, the key thing to understand him, and the reason you kind of have to gesture towards basement dweller dumb yeah, is yeah. that it, it seems to me quite transparently obvious that it, um, as much as he throws this assertion against his foes um, is that he uh, has no real engagement with the real world uh, um, yeah. l- the world exists to him as a series of intellectual debates in the marketplace of ideas where you can um, change fundamentals of how the world works simply by rebutting someone's point over a point of grammar or with a impossible hypothetical scenario. Yeah. He has, and, and because he has insulated himself so much from the world, he's never had to encounter the fact that he is, I mean, wrong in general but ever like in specific and like that's the that's what the the gap between us and him right mm. um is that he just does not he has never had a thought that he hasn't assumed was correct yeah and that the rest of the world if it just paid attention would know I'm wrong so much of the time. I'm probably wrong about Histoire's de cinema. Oh, I, there is a, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, 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 we're probably wrong about Bill and Ted's bogus journey being better no. than the seventh mm-hmm. seal. But no, oh, but like, yeah, yeah, no, but yeah, we're going to be wrong about that. But, it, but, like we acknowledge that, whereas this film so much is just someone going. She, she says, "I'm sexist, a villain, a monster, and I am not because I'm because I say I'm not." And it's yeah. just genuinely someone who has never had to be wrong in a situation and then deal with the outcome and learn and grow. Yeah, no, it, it's and like that is it, the th- that's the whole film. Okay, so the other guy in, in this filmmaking duo was, is, uh, is, is, is Davis Orini, who is a like, lo- long-time far-right YouTube maniac and also failed filmmaker. He's made a couple of like, short films with names like Lost in a Time of Heartache 
which is uh, more boring than it sounds, where it's all like shot out on the street. They're just using the like cameras, inbuilt microphones, which sounds like shit. And there's a bunch of guys in suits who look kind of Italian shoving each other. And you're like, yeah, it's, it's a film, I guess. Or there's like one where some, some, some guys like in a park and they're, one guy has two sign and the other one has like a metal pole and they're doing this, uh, incredibly choreographed fight where one of the, where the guy with the side holds him out in front of him and then the guy with the stick just sort of bangs the stick between the two side. And there's lots of voiceover about like, what, what does it take? To be a man. It, it is. It's, all, it's thing, only the strength of your own blade. So it's like shit like that. And so he, he, he makes YouTube videos about like, uh, about like philosophy oh, okay. my, and my, politics my, and history. To, yeah. to hit my thought on, uh, on his films is like, I think the thing with stressing is that like, obviously he does not have access to the best technology. No. That does not um, automatically make a film bad. Um, his, his, his films are bad because he has put no thought into them. He's yeah. had an idea, grabbed a camera, some people and pointed at it. The problem is not that the sound is terribly recorded. It is that the dial, it, it, it is that you, I, the problem isn't that the sound is terribly recorded. The problem is that the film relies on that sound to make sense. And even with it, the pl- even with it, the writing is terrible. You know, yeah. like, like the, the, he the, is bad at the things within his control, especially. Yeah, the budget of Lost in the Time of Heartache is is listed at like ten thousand dollars. Yeah, that uh, is for like for, for an eight minute short. Spent ten thousand dollars. Looks like garbage. Sounds like garbage. Earring that is terrible. Robert Rodriguez made El Mariachi for seven thousand dollars. And that movie is not a masterpiece, but it does everything you want out of a out of a low budget action movie. It is like um, it is fun and fast paced and stylish. Yeah, obviously between Rodriguez and um, God De- Arini, yeah, uh, I choose Rodriguez. <laughs> but but I think like in one of those cases that was seven thousand dollars to buy film stock. In one of those cases. It was $10,000 to pay people. And I think both of those are legitimate uses of funds. Um, uh, And the thing that the real gap between those films is that Robert Rodriguez looked at his $7,000 and said, how do I make a film with this? Yeah, I look, I'm going to look at my restrictions, what I know how to do, what do I have and how do I make a film within that? And Arini just goes like, uh, you know, I should just point a camera at people wiggling some stuff and that'll look badass, right? I've seen things like that. There yeah. is, for, for and, and you will discuss this more, for someone who performs his life as a drag philosopher, someone who is 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 always pondering and trapped inside thoughts as he does, um, it... It is embarrassing how incurious he is at every level. All of his work shows someone who is much more interested in seeming like someone who thinks yeah. than someone who actually is. Because he is, Davis Orini is the biggest, is cringe, right? Oh, he, he, is, he is one of the like top 10 most cringe people who's ever lived. He's, he's, he's a master of cringe. He's incredible. Tell, tell, tell the, the shite and soundies at home about, about the cringe of Arini. 
as you've said, Davis Rooney is a guy who like wants to seem like he is smart and important and thoughtful, but he is, is like bald, a styleless idiot. Well, no, he, he's trying to be like a philosopher mage. So he's yeah. bald with sunglasses and, and he's got a leather jacket. Yeah, he's got a like, goatee and stuff. Occasionally like he wears if, a cowboy hat. Like if Grant Morrison's uh, revenge on saying that the the Matrix stole the plot of The Invisibles would be to steal its aesthetic, I guess, is how I would describe him. Yeah, he, 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 he has videos where he's like, Talking about ethics while standing in the wood wearing wearing like uh, wearing like suit pants, a blazer, and with like a turtleneck underneath, and he's and he's like smoking. He's standing like twenty minutes away from a camera, just like he wants to seem like he's French, basically. He like smoke and then say something about like the ethics of Star Trek or some shit. And uh, he he always had like little, little flourishes to, to, to his to his videos. Like he'll he'll say something and then take a sip of whiskey. Or he'll see something, then pull out a zippo and light a cigarette, and then flip the zippo closed and stuff. He's 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 embarrassing. The YouTube videos that I watch the most are H Bomber guy's videos about Davis Arini. His earliest like five videos are all either about or include Davis Arini. There is the Sarkeesian effect immediate response and the Sarkeesian effect in crisis, which were the two videos he made about the production of the Sarkeesian effect, where he just like makes brutal fun of Davis and Jordan, uh, just like rips them to fucking shreds. Uh, then there is a, a video called Cultural Marxism, a measured response, uh, where, where, uh, where, where, where Davis Rini is one of the people talking about uh, the evils of cultural Marxism. Uh, there is a two-part video called Idiot Wars for Racism Awakens about, uh, about right-wing YouTubers' reactions to Star Wars for Force Awakens, where, uh, where, where Davis Rini uh, calls... Uh, uh, What's what's the uh, what's the new droid in that one? BB-8. Yeah, yeah. Where 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 Davis Arini refers to BB-8 as the little white cuck ball and talks about how Star Wars: Force Awakens is like cuck and bull hypno. It is a movie designed to make white men want their wives to fuck black men. Like Um, it is, he says insane shit constantly. Like uh, women in this day and age are the most decadent sluts since the fall of Rome. He throws it around the inward a whole bunch. It's great. It should go without saying, but to be clear, I have I have watched The Force Awakens with Briar, who by law is my de, my de facto, my common law wife. I've watched it with her several times, <laughs> and I have never left that film with any increase in my desire <laughs> to, to be cucked. <laughs> and I, it, it, it is not one. Like, I mainly leave that film going like, man... The true star of that film is the casting director, because holy shit, like what a cast and and what what good fun. Not um hmm, could could John Boyega (laughs) is John Boyega free? Uh, well, yeah, since he walked off that film he is. And and the the other I I I'm I agree with everything you're saying, uh, Finn. But like the key thing, is, the thing that makes Davis Orini specifically so cringe to me is that what? What do you think the definition of cool is? I'm I'm not sure I have one, but I know that Davis Orini doesn't fit it. And, and uh, yeah, I've thought a lot about this because there, uh, uh, um, and, and specifically in relation to Davis Orini and cool in general, and, and like obviously people have done PhDs in this, but but to be reductive, 
cool is at a basic level doing something you shouldn't, you know? Mm. The reason smoking is cool again, because you shouldn't, you know? And sure. It, but like, no, that's like a bad example. But like, yeah. it is people breaking the rules generally, whether they yeah. are literal ones or implicit so- social rules. Yeah. And, and Davis Arini's idea of cool clearly comes from 80s and 90s kind of cyberpunk, Bronze Age, Merishade's <laughs> cool sci fi yeah. that has become so indentured in society and so moved past that it's 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 accepted do you know what i mean yeah. like like i'm sure i have worn iterations uh you know in terms of constituent elements of of davis orini's outfits at all times but he is so committed to them as the statement and uh and also, the reason that interacts so much with his thinking is that all of his thoughts are boring, misogynist, fascist thoughts that were the accepted thinking for hundreds of years. There's mm-hmm. nothing, there's no pressure, the only pressure against him saying them is that, like, they're wrong, you know? Like, mm-hmm. he is, so much of the cringe is him thinking he's this disruptive outsider, when he is so normy, there are so many good photos of him wielding swords, just so uh, unco. Yeah, the, 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 all, all the sword pictures are so good of him. And it's, there's nothing wrong with trying, but mm. when what you're trying to do is, is be like a bald man smoking in the woods, like the cool people who smoke in the woods talking, okay, well, Miami Vice. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the concept of Miami Vice was that these men are wrecks. They're up all night uh, uh, undercover. They're up during the day doing their paperwork. They have to take drugs. Their lives are falling apart. They don't even wear socks. Their clothes <laughs> clash. Uh, the whole pastel suits, things unbuttoned, never matching, was <clears throat> supposed to show that they were falling apart. Uh, of course, it became a cultural idea of cool. Yeah. Those like men in glasses smoking in the woods talking about existentialism is because they wouldn't be let into town. Whereas like, we know Davis Arini has a fucking like it isn't cool that Davis Arini has a skull because we know that any of us could go on AliExpress or fucking Mighty Ape and get one, you know? Yeah. yeah. So they were the declared co-directors of the film to begin with. Yeah. Yes. Throughout the production of the film, they like break up and get back together and a couple of times because uh, they're both uh, terrible people to be around. And uh, even though they both have similar terrible views, they still clearly like uh, clashed. Uh, um, well, it's but, tyranny but, of small differences, yeah. right? Yeah. But so like uh, eventually the, the, the film is made and released with Arini's name scrubbed from it. He is still listed as the cinematographer, uh, but I think that is uh, more of a uh, burn by Jordan Owen than anything else. Uh, yes. Because this is uh, uh, one of the ugliest looking films I've ever seen in my life. No, they're impl- like, I, I, it, it is just, um, it looks like a home movie. It well, looks like, like, um, like they're, they're like, they're, they're like, cannot even compose a shot of someone sitting on a couch. They're, they're, yeah. they're like, they cannot do that effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It sucks. Yeah. It's bullshit. Yeah. Uh, it's and, embarrassing. And, 
Yes, and, and they got tens of thousands of dollars from Gamergators to make this movie. Well, because you can have, like, YouTube is awash with rich kids whose parents bought them, you know, an Alexa Mini or a, a Blackmagic Ursa camera or, or you know, a Sony A7R, these incredible mm. cameras that you can shoot feature films on. Uh, it, you can't buy taste. Yeah. You can't buy an eye to look upon films. Mm. Um, and, and that is what they lack. And I, like sound is the thing where I'm like, how did you have $50,000? And like, if you have $50,000, $5,000 of that is to put it through a mastering house where they mm. would have been like, are you sure that you want some of the narration to be only in one ear? <laughs> and he would be like, uh, no. And they would like, you know, like mm. the sound is the there's, thing where I'm like, there, there, these there, people there, are maniacs. There's one bit where they're interviewing a woman called Karen Strawn. She, she is sitting on a couch. She's got a lav mic on. But she, yeah. She's like clearly sitting on one of the wires. And she keeps just moving around and it makes this like horrible noise. She keeps like making these major adjustments in, 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 in how she's sitting. And every time it fucks up the sound and they yeah. just like, they didn't even do a second take. It's so irritating. Yeah. Okay. So, so like, let's talk about the people who are interviewed in this film. The first person interviewed in the film is a guy called Phil Mason, also known as Thunderfoot. He is a research scientist. He started out making videos uh, about like creationism and atheism and like m- making fun of creationists and like showing like cool science stuff that he was working on. That's where he came from. And I, I watched his videos for, for like quite a long time. He, he was one of the like, when I got into like YouTube atheism stuff, he, he was like one of the like major guys for me. And uh, what was the, he like then? I mean, he's. Kind of the same, but uh, talking about things that he's uh, correct about. Yeah, there was also a very good. Uh, uh, there was a very good uh, H. Palmer guy video about uh, about Thunderfoot, which is called Thunderfoot versus Feminazi Ghostbusters: A Measured Response, where he shows even when Thunderfoot is making videos that are like within his own fields of expertise, he, he still has a tendency to be like pretty lazy with like how he like makes or or, or, or responds to arguments. He, he falls, he doesn't fall into the like desperately trying to be cool school of Arini. Mm. He is in yeah. the Owen school of like someone who was told they were smart once as a child and it was like, oh, so I'm never wrong. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So, uh, in, in, in about like 2013, he started getting kind of weird. He essentially stopped making videos about creationism. He stopped making videos about atheism and he moved almost entirely to, Videos about feminism focusing specifically on Anita Sarkeesian. The first I ever heard about Anita Sarkeesian was on his videos, and and he and he he, he just made every couple of weeks he would make another like fifteen minute video where like Anita Sarkeesian debunked, and I'd watch all of them and like I I'd, I'd never heard of her before, and so I'd, I'd just watch him like, oh yeah, great, got her, you know, whatever. Eventually, that became the only fucking thing he was doing. And because yeah. so it like, got clicks, yeah, right? Yeah, and people yeah. agreed with him. Yeah, and so I was like, okay. I'm uh, after a while. I was like, yeah, sure. It seems like she sucks, but like, who who cares? Like, you you used to make videos about creationists. Most people are like massively impacting the like education systems of the most powerful country on earth. You should go back to that. You were good at that. But he, people just keep going on about her. So I, I like I fucking I gave, like I just gave, gave up on him. Well, there there is a real 
uh, skepticism to to insanity pipeline. Yeah, and, which uh, which almost always fed through a need to Sarkeesian first. Like the same thing happened with the, the like same thing happened with the amazing atheist. It happened with like a bunch of people in that community. Oh, there there also my experience was largely through podcasts, which mm. I all dipped out of. Um, because uh, a couple uh, started to touch on the trans issue and all just right, came yeah. down on the standard turf, like, no, you can't change your sex, chromosomes yeah. are sex. And I was just like, oh, no, okay, cool. Um, they, they are, they are they, the, the dogma they apply to science when it comes to, uh, 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 you know, medical care uh, is the same that they apply to issues that are not uh, that uh, uh, empirical, mm. uh, uh, and, and even though they're anyway, they're anyway, uh, trans women are women. <laughs> no, fuck. Um, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm yeah. saying. Um, and, and I think some of that comes from there is such a beautiful sense. It is such a good feeling to be right, mm. uh, and, and, and it is such a good feeling to to have like a codex. Where you are like, I have the right thing. I have this magic eight ball I can shake, and everything that comes out will be right. And the problem is, is that nothing can apply to everything universally, you know. Yeah. And that's how. Because the thing about Thunderfoot and this fucking first interview, where he's crowing about, ah, oh, she was nobody, but she was on my radar. Is, is once again, I kind of only want to mention it once, but like there is a weird sexual aspect to their fixation on Anita Sarkeesian, um, uh, which is uh, gross, D- just simply not to not yeah. do. Um, is, is that he is then immediately like his position on her is that she is wrong about everything. He almost says that verbatim. Yeah. He has decided she is wrong. Like Anita Sarkeesian could come out tomorrow and say that Thunderfoot is, is should be the president. Uh, and, well, the prime minister, he is, he's English. Um, and, and he would say no, you know, like he, he is the one who has prejudged. Uh, and, and he projects that onto Anita. So much of what he says about Sarkeesian is, is you know, she she doesn't even play video games, but has decided they're all terrible. And it's like, <laughs> no, you are talking about your view of Anita Sarkeesian. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, you're saying? So, uh, uh, but the, the, the like interesting thing about about uh, about about Thunderfoot is uh, when when the movie came out, he made a forty minute long video called the Sarkeesian Effect. Reality bending fail. We just talked about how shitty the movie was for 40 minutes. I remember watching that back in the day. I was like, yeah, this movie does seem really shitty. He thinks that both Jordan and Davis are fucking idiots. He was like, I gave an interview because I, you know, I didn't like Reva and, you know, it's good that someone's making a film about it. I, I didn't think they'd be able to do anything with it really because they, it seemed like they didn't know what they were doing. But then, uh, but then he's like, oh, it turned out they really didn't know what they were doing. And, uh, it, it's been, this video was from like six years ago. I probably haven't seen it in six years. It is mainly about their incompetence. There's a bit that he shows all the time in the, in the video of Davis Reed talking about how good he is at film editing. And, uh, and he says, I know all the keyboard shortcuts. Yeah, so the first interview is with Thunderfoot. Then they show like a bunch of clips of her videos. They show some other YouTubers uh, talking about how they don't like her. Seemingly chosen the clips from her videos, as with the clips from video games, 
are seemingly randomly chosen, are very odd, uh, yeah. and don't really have natural... Like, when they show a bit of video game footage, it's roughly illustrating their point, but it'll start in the middle of an action, end in the middle of another one. There's no, like... If you've learned all the shortcuts, you will have learned I and O to set in and out to change the starting end point of a clip, mate. Right, you know, yeah. like just to focus on the good shit. It's just, yeah. it's like, it's been, it's been, it's beneath amateurish. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. yeah. So after Thunderfoot, they have something to do with some women who are critical of me, just like he's in. First, I show an interview with a woman called Mallory Nasrallah, uh, who's credited as an erotic photographer slash philosophy student. Yeah. And she doesn't really seem to have much to say in this section. They bring her back later. Yeah. My journey through the first hour of this film was like, like, it is an interesting choice. The most, the clearest creative choice this film has made is to interview a lot of women who are involved in the sex industry in this. And some of, and it all kind of comes together, but not really, you know? So there comes a point about like halfway through where you realize, oh, this entire movie, everyone that interviewed is just someone who was venting about some, about like a Twitter beef from a few years ago. Everyone is just sort of like mad about some some like mild interpersonal disagreement, which we've now thought is important enough to put in a documentary. Yeah, it's so, um, a real cringe. Yeah, so after they interview Mallory Nasrallah, they interview a group of three women, Rachel, Hannah, and Karen. So uh, they are the hosts of a podcast called Honey Badger Radio, which is a men's rights activism podcast. But, but by women. Yeah, so... Oh. Uh, so Oh. Uh, there, there was a guy in later so they're film, worse than I thought there, there was a guy in later in film called Paul Elam who founded a men's rights activist called A Voice for Men he coined the term honey badgers to refer to female men's rights activists I guess after the like honey badger don't give a fuck video I mean these three women started a podcast called Honey Badger Radio where they're women who talk about men's rights issues and there absolutely is a place or like should be a place for the like discussion of men's issues within progressive circles, I think that is a good idea. But these people, especially Karen Strawn, their views are fucking nuts. Well, and they the issues of men's rights that they talk about are not the real issues. Real men's rights, as opposed to the men's rights that men's rights activists yeah. uh, advocate for, is not about how um it, about how the world has done them wrong like mm. men's rights activists activism kind of comes with the assumption that because men are more likely to die and more likely to work dangerous jobs yeah and, and that the women are while that are paid less to have better lives essentially uh and that means that men are the repressed class um, and is is like to boil down to what they would never say that that's what they mean. Mm. That is what I hear. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas, like the real means issues is that a lot of the things they point to as issues uh, come from uh, men building traps for themselves and then oppressing themselves with false ideas of what masculinity is. Sure. Yeah. It is. It is. It is. The direction is the issue, and beca- and and. Yeah, they're 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 real far off right. 
if you mm. know what I mean. Yeah. After the interview with Honey Badgers, they talk to a guy uh, whose name I cannot find anywhere who just talks about a flame war with some Wikipedia moderators over-editing Anita Sarkeesian's Wikipedia page. We get several of these, but like Neil Breen talking about negotiating contracts with cinemas, this man does not understand how clearly he is making himself out to just be an absolute nightmare to deal with. Yes. Um, And we get several stories like this where you're like, you are telling me the annoying man's side of a story about how innocent he was when actually he was just like at best an irritant and at worst a malevolent force. During this scene, we get a lot of, I think that the film does a lot from this point on, which is while an interview subject is talking, the frame that they're in gets sort of shrunk down. So it, it does not touch any part of the outside of the fray. And so, so like most of the screen is just black. I mean, like maybe a sixth, um, maybe like a fifth of the screen over to the right is taken up with, with, with the video of your interview. All the rest of it is black. And then they'll just put screenshots of whatever they're talking about up in the middle of, up in the middle of the screen. It, it, it's, like it, 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 it looks like a really, it looks like you're watching someone's bad PowerPoint, and like this, this video is mostly this guy over on the right, very small, not taking up much space, and then giant in the middle of the screen, but also still not taking up that much space. Is it's like a screenshot of Anita Sarkeesian's Wikipedia page, while he just complains about the comment war that he got into on the talk page. Yeah, and it is. Uh, <sighs> Like, there is, it is ugly and boring in a way that almost seems skillful because it's mm. not even like, oh, look at how bad they fucked this up. It's just like, like you did, they were not even trying. There is yeah. so little effort in this. So, uh, after this, uh, it goes to uh, what, what I think is, uh, it goes to the like, the like weird conspiracy bit where they talk about her early career and. There's, there's this constant need for them to, to, like, to make Anita Sarkeesian seem like she is malevolent, but, like, but like also mysterious. Like, there's, there's something dark that we don't quite know about her. Yeah, and the, 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 like, someone is pulling the strings yeah, yeah. that she's and, a puppet. And, yeah. and the like, main way they get that across is through uh, talking about uh, uh, her, her like, early uh, business associations when she was like in her early 20s and just trying to figure out what she wanted her career to be. Well, and she, and she like, did some, like, in, like, teleconference seminars. Well, essentially, like, helping businesses set up vlogs before they existed. Yeah. You know? Helping yeah. people do, like, they're called, like, tele-seminars, which is, yeah, like, yeah yes. helping people record YouTube videos. Uh, and, and one of the people she did that with was a pickup artist. And another one was a, like, neuro-linguistic programming guy. Yeah. And, and and so there are all these people talking about if you look at her videos, she's she's using those same techniques right now. She's brainwashing people into thinking that mm, sometimes video games are mm, it's uh, crazy shit. I uh, and also that, I just yeah. wish I like like my biggest issue with Anita Sarkeesian is that she should be doing more shit like that. Like yeah. her, I find her videos um, exceptionally like, put, put, put dry some, and boring. Put some backwards masking in, in your videos. Right? <laughs> like it would it would genuinely like I genuinely wish she would she would do like mind control like just do yeah. anything. You know her, her videos are very presentation-y. 
So then, then it goes to my favorite part of the movie, uh, which, which is uh, uh, they, they like start, they started mentioning someone, and I was like, oh, you, you, there's there's no there's no way they they, they interviewed this guy, and then they did, and uh, so uh, it goes to an, to an interview with a guy called Jack Thompson, who yeah. throughout the nineties and early two thousands was the public enemy number one for games. He was a guy that everyone hated. Jack Thompson was a lawyer who was not a fan of the fact that violent video games were being sold to children. He like took on court cases and stuff to try and get more restrictions around the sale of violent video games. Gamers fucking hated him so much. They, 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 they would like, they, they, they sent him like constant like death threats and all, all this sort of stuff for like a decade. Jack Thompson, like the thing I want to say is there, there are, like the, the this moment around censorship in video games is actually quite complicated, and no one is in no one does great yeah. coming out of it. They like started mentioning Jack Thompson. I was like, "There's no way they got Jack Thompson." And then Jack Thompson showed up, and I was like, "Okay, well, there's there's no way they give him like a positive interview." And then immediately they started being like, "Oh, he's actually pretty misunderstood." They do a fucking Jack Thompson redemption arc just so they can make Anita Sarkeesian look worse. They give them this like fawning softball interview where they just keep saying, Oh, yeah, you're so, you're, you know, we, we don't always agree with you, but you make a lot of good, you're very reasonable, Jack Thompson, and you respect the First Amendment, and that's very important to us. After Jack Thompson, that's when they start talking about Zoe Quinn, and oh, like, yeah. this is the, the rise of the professional victims. They, 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 they talk about Zoe Quinn, and they talk about a woman called Rebecca Watson. This was the moment in like 2011 where the online atheist community lost its shit. There was a woman called Rebecca Watson who ran a blog called Skeptic, where she would write about, uh, where she would write about atheism and skepticism and stuff. And, and what, she what was also on the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, which was yeah. uh, the most popular popular Skeptic's podcast. She, yeah. she before and since uh, YouTube, she, she was high visibility. Yes, and uh, so in in 2011, she made a video. Uh, saying, I was at a skepticism conference recently, and uh, I'd just given a talk about skepticism in the skeptic community. And then after my talk, I was uh, I was hanging out of the bar for, uh, for for a while. I was here until about four o'clock in the morning. At about four o'clock, I told everyone that I was uh, that I, I'd, I you know it was time to call it a night. So I went and got in the elevator to go up to my room. Uh, one of the guys from the bar ran up and got him in the elevator with me. And uh, while we were in the elevator alone together at four o'clock in the morning, he said, hey, I find you very fascinating. And uh, would, would you like to come back to my room for, for, for some coffee? And yeah. she, she, she was like kind of creeped out by that and, and said like, like uh, no, and got out of the elevator, end of interaction. And so she, she made this video recounting the interaction and saying, uh, hey, guys, please don't do that. Uh, she, she, she did not call out this guy by name. She did not try and identify him in any sense. She did not do anything unreasonable. She just said, there's nothing wrong with like approaching a woman, but think about the context and the circumstances under which it's happening. And maybe don't do it like when you're alone in, in an elevator with her at four o'clock in the morning. And that's uh, entirely sensible. People lost their fucking minds. Richard Dawkins wrote a article about like uh, no Ollie. no um, I be, I believe it, it was a uh, Afghani woman who wrote an article uh, and the byline was attributed to Richard Dawkins. Um, yeah no, uh, Richard Dawkins uh, wrote a, uh, a a column about how Rebecca Watson's request that maybe when she is imprisoned 
in a room, uh, uh, imprisoned, if only for a short period, in an elevator with someone that they not had on her at 4 a.m. in a town she doesn't know while they are drunk, um, uh, does not matter and is invalid because uh, female genital mutilation still occurs in other countries. Um, which is uh, just an incredible case, uh, but not the only case in the skeptics community uh, of whataboutism, which is the other, like, a really big thing uh, in this film, uh, which we see a lot here, which goes into, like, the big response to, to Watson that we see is from Thunderfoot, where, yeah. where, where he... Uh, it is very clear that the thing that upset all of these men um, is like, there are times that I've done things like that, but I'm not bad. I'm good. So yeah. she is wrong. Yeah. Um, I remember like very clearly watching Underfoot's videos on this, like 10, like 10 years ago at this point, where he's like, oh, here's, here's some pictures of like, when I was at a skeptics conference and uh, we we're all laughing and getting drunk together in the bar. And here's a picture of like, someone like licking someone else's leg and you, you know uh, Rebecca Watson wants to take these fun moments away from us but it was like, everyone in this picture was fine and the sort of basic thing is like okay if people were fine Ben uh, then she's like not talking about you yeah but the point of logic Thunderfoot gets to uh, is that he's like well basically what she's saying is that she only wants to be hit on by people she's attracted to yeah um, which, which is uh, just absolutely false yeah, and, and then Thunderfoot starts like implying that, uh, that, that like you know, if, if we all looked like Rebecca Watson, he, like he, he he never quite goes this up. He like he implies like oh the, the human race would die out if, if if men never approached women unless they were short they like them. Oh, how how would children get made? Well, and it and it's also um, but what he is doing is telling on himself. Yeah, uh, as we've discussed, and like the really key thing to understand is that Rebecca Watson is not saying any of those things. She is like, like it is not bad to tell someone you like them. It's not bad after mm. a night of drinking to say to someone like, "Hey, is there something here? Do you want to get coffee?" Yeah, it is bad to do that in a situation where um, where someone is trapped. Where someone is trapped. Um, and, and, and doesn't know the area. Quibbling with any detail around that doesn't change it. And also, yeah. by by saying that that the th that women needing to feel safe when they are propositioned is the thin end of the wedge to the end of humanity. <laughs> Shows such a fundamental lack of ideas around consent. Yeah. That it is genuinely very troubling. Yeah. Um, and it reveals a real darkness. But then, then he hits on, yeah, but she only wants to be a tr uh, uh, hit on by hot people. And you're like, oh no, so this is what this is about is self pity. What mm. we are getting is, is the end point of Thunderfoot. But like, you can see him probably hit on a lot of women, I assume very inelegantly, and being rejected, and then just in his brain being like, no, it's the women who are wrong, even though, um, and, and, and all they want is that I'm not hot enough for them. And I know these feelings, I've had these feelings inside myself, I tweet them in the middle of the night sometimes. Um, and what he's really think it's the nice guy thing, where it is like, no, the reason I'm probably 
they probably rejected you is that you were, you know, sitting on the corner of a conversation, staring, glaring at them while talking about how, like, Kristen Wiig is the worst thing to happen to Ghostbusters since, I don't know, the Telltale games. Like, yeah. It is, it is like it's so transparent that the, uh, the, 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 their final fantasy is being rejected because of spirits within. And, and if they want a realm reborn, Christ. they will Final Fantasy VII. Like, it, it makes me so sad that, that, the, that these people can go so long in their lives. Because, yeah, just being unchallenged. These are mm. unchallenged men who who have grown into a position, and, and I think that, like the greatest gift I got as a young person was being told I was wrong quite a lot, um, mm. and, and sometimes in ways that that were not great, and sometimes in ways that were great, um, and, and that means that like okay, are there? Am I saying that I am always magnanimous in defeat? No. Yes. Um, but it is a. A standard concept within my brain that that I just maybe have the wrong take on something. I could just turn mm. around on things, uh, and, and and if I sincerely try to invest, uh, express, explain, or maintain something, that, that I can get to a point that is peaceful and, and at least moral, you know. Mm. Whereas these are all just men who have ended up just constantly hedgehogs constantly raging against the world that disagrees with them because they have to be right because if they're not right then they are just you know the men who all those women reject mm. you know uh, or, or yeah. all those or, or all those people make fun of if they're yeah. not right they've not got anything uh, i think it'd be like only two other parts that are really worth talking about uh, be really, really long interview right in the middle of the film. Um, yeah, with the the with some, about the court case. Yeah, about the yeah the that so, that is, that's the other case. This is the other case of someone uh, unknowingly revealing that they are an absolute nightmare oh, yeah. to be around. So but yeah, so talk about yeah, this. So this interview is fifteen minutes long. It is the longest part of the film. Is it an unbroken take? It feels like it. This is the uh, bit I feel I think, asleep in. Uh, no, I, I think the, I think there are a couple of cuts because it looks like the shot uh, uh, like changes, uh, just like oh, yeah. through it. It, 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 it is. It is. It's really... fifteen minutes long. This like Canadian guy called Tim talking about the friend group he used to hang out with and how they got mad at him about some other guy whose tweets. And like they, they talk for 15 minutes it is never clear entirely what he's talking about they never make a good case why this is connected to the rest of the film's thesis um, they, it, like, it, it is guarantee you this is not clear but mm. I guarantee you it's intended to be there as like a case study in professional victimization because what he is talking about is that the story he tries to present is a situation where he is trying to be like Hey everyone, let's just be cool and chill about this. And people being like, "No, this bad man bad, and you now bad. We unthinking NPCs." Yeah, but because he leaves out all these moments that are, um, I presume, unfavorable to him, because he goes into a lot of detail, then no detail, then a lot of detail. Uh, uh, is that like he? You know, it's like 
It's like if I told you a story, it's like, Finn, you'll never believe it. I've got, oh God, I have all this shit down the back of my pants. And you, you know, is so, it's not my fault, obviously. Well, because I really needed to take a shit. And, um, but I was stuck on a bus. So I got off the bus and, and was running towards, um, but then there was a, a woman. And, and now there's just shit uh, all, all down the back of my pants. And I'm sure it was her, you know. So I was just, I was, uh, I, you know, like it is that, it is that yeah. level. And it is this monotonous Alan Bennett sack solo monologue that is both dreary and painful that it is full of detail but lacking incident it isn't it is jaw dropping that it was recorded yeah um let alone included in a film like, this, like, this film is over two and a half hours long you you, yeah. you could lose this entire 15 minutes and not lose anything from the fucking film it would be um, it would be a massive improvement yeah, it, it it and it starts with him telling a long story about a woman who got fired due to a misunderstanding that wasn't her fault, and he doesn't want to say her name, but he does, and it is just so like it it is both incredibly revealing and mystifying because it is like like what is like what the fuck are you on about like what mm. are you go, what are you talking about you know it's crazy business um this is the bit I feel asleep in. Right, um, yeah. And it was genuinely like horrifying <laughs> to like, you know, when you start drifting in and out of sleep. So yeah, the yeah. sense of the story going on for eternity. And to be clear, the next this morning when I woke up, I went back. So I did watch all of it. I still. Yeah, it's nonsensical. Yeah, it's horrific. So, yeah. So after this, they like start talking about Gamergate and they go back to Mallory Nasrallah. And now there's finally a reason why she was interviewed in the first place, which is she used to know Zoe Quinn, uh, who was like the main target of Gaming Gate back when Zoe Quinn did like nude modeling and stuff. Cause this one's a photographer and she did like a photo shoot for Zoe one time. And she tells a story about like, Oh, Zoe, she said a bunch of, she said a bunch of crazy stuff. Must, so she must be lying about all this harassment that she demonstrably received. Then there's an interview with this guy who I was never fully sure who he is, but I keep coming back to him. He's sitting by a river, he's wearing a jean jacket, and he just keeps talking about like how tough life is. And he's like, I was in jail. I fucking kill people. I know how I know how hard life is. These stupid women on the internet, they're just like they're just narcissists, you know. No one's complaining about microaggressions in sub-Saharan Africa, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, this dude boring. he's super boring. <laughs> And but is also like the further end of the Davis Arini cringe school. Yeah. Because he's yeah. all about like, I've seen the real thing. I've got hard knocks and yet has no real engagement with what's going on and is just angry. The thought I had on the whole <clears throat> dredging up Zoe Quinn's background thing is that none of it changes materially anything we know about her. Hmm. And if anything, just like Zoe Quinn is someone who has been very public about her experience of mental illness. Yeah. And so having a documentary of people discussing uh, the behavior of a me- what is clearly the behavior of a mentally ill person in the past acts her up more than yeah. anything else, which is uh, the case throughout this film. Uh, uh, it, it would be pointless to list cases 
but genuinely five minutes does not go past without um uh, uh them playing a clip of sarkeesian and then owens either claiming she said something else or an interviewer interviewee claiming she said something else yeah. uh, one of this the sex worker women of whom there is there are several there's an adult actress there's the photographer there's someone else uh she's she gets a real beef with with sarkeesian's use of the term prostituted woman yeah. uh, and then picking examples of her using them in the video games uh, Max Payne 3 and Hitman Absolution, which luckily, this is just to show, like, luckily I have played both of those games, and in the case of both of those games, they are prostituted women. Those yeah, are they're, characters they're, they're who like have been... Women who have been trafficked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and that is explicit. She's using the term correctly. Yeah. Uh, and then later she uses uh, the term sex worker to refer to a male sex worker. And they're like, oh, it's hypocrisy. And you're just like, yeah, it's like, just oh, absolutely she, she really not. Care about women. She's not a woman. She's an obese female sex workers agency, but giving it to a male sex workers. It's weird. Yeah. Like, even as someone who, who like, hasn't played either of those games, like that would still be immediately be like yeah. immediate thought I went. It was like, oh, well, the the the, the like the prostituted woman, probably women who were who were like trafficked within the context of those games, and the male sex workers who were just referred to as sex workers were not trafficked. So my snarky tweet about this film was that it's an absolute recommendation from me because you will never feel imposter syndrome again, and. and that is not because this film is incompetently made, and it absolutely is. I genuinely cannot think of a person I've had a conversation with in the past five years, and that includes, you know, children over five uh, who couldn't make a better film than this. Yeah. Um, uh, genuinely, genuinely, it, everything about it is wrong. Uh, it, um, but is the fact that it is so incurious and intellectually fails like as we have said there are so many cases Sarkeesian says something and then Owens takes the wrong conclusion from it or says she's saying something else or someone else does and it is they're just so transparently incorrect uh, at every step and that it makes you feel really good for all the times you've seemed like an idiot in public like yeah. Uh, every time I've misattributed a film on this or, or misspoken is nothing in the wind of this two and a half hours of, of people looking at the sun and then calling it the moon. And then when someone says, no, that's the sun, they start yelling, who is this anti-cheese bitch, you know? Yeah. like, And that is what this whole film is. And it's not even an intellectual level there 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 were two or three points in this film where i think um that they made points i didn't necessarily agree with like they managed to but they managed to make them in ways that i didn't because yeah. or, or or like even rhetorically they failed they they hit on the point um the 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 social justice warrior space uh uh is predominantly white and male uh, I say is one white social justice warrior to another on a podcast, but they illustrate this with a photo of one of Sarkeesian's audiences, which predominantly 
the center of the frame uh, is a man of East Asian descent, and next to him is a row full of women. <laughs> and it is just, and it's like, I don't think that point is wrong, but they have shown it yeah. so poorly that I now think it is wrong. Um, there, there are errors, I, like Sarkeesian is not, was not au okay fait with video games. Uh, and I think that shows in some of her work. I think there yeah. is fact checking to be done. Um, but all of their examples are like, so she says that these, uh, uh, that these uh, sex workers in Hitman Absolution are just props for men. But no, actually, you can sneak past them. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what? No, it's not. Like you can't argue that the the sun is the moon by saying it's also a planet. Like it isn't. Like you know. Like we and it is at that level throughout the the this assertion of this conspiracy that is so uh and it, it, and it is just so clearly kids who were told that it, it is like when when you learn that you know most of our clothes are made by slave children it is like responding to that information by making a whole documentary um about how the media wants us to be naked like you sure yeah it, and it is breathtakingly ignorant and naive yeah, and yeah. Is, i mean like after all of this stuff, like over two hours of this garbage, uh, like music changes. It goes from like, like it goes from like stock classical music to like stock electric guitar noodling. Uh, it is not stock. It's by Jordan Owens, and, and okay. it is it is a basic MIDI music composer. And like either of us could do better. I have absolutely mm. no musical skills. It's horrible to listen to. Yeah, so it, it goes to this like electric guitar noodling. Uh, and Jordan Owen gives like a twenty-minute like philosophical summation of, of like what this film is about and like what we need to do as a society to like get rid of women who don't like video games or something. And uh, it's uh, excruciating. And like it is, it's exactly the ending that you'd expect a film like directed by an Iron Rand fan to have. Just well, like it, okay, well, it, we've, we've we've done this. It's already way too long. But now here is just this incredibly boring and didactic, like twenty minute long speech about here are all the themes and and all the messages I'm trying to get across. Also, though, it is the it 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 is true. It is the end of a film. Uh, uh, that that an Anne Rand obsessive would make. It is also the kind of thing they would find smeared in blood in a serial killer's basement. Sure, yeah. Because um, his thesis is that what social justice warriors don't understand is that they never make anything. Yeah, the, they're, the, they're, they're they're parasites who only take. They never produce. Yeah, they are they are leeches, and, and, and they can't just go around telling people how uh, to do things. That's not how art is made, uh, and they will make art, uh, uh, and they will never know the true light of creation. 
um, because all they can do is control things. And, and they the thing they fear the most is that we gamers will turn around and say no. And yeah. like the the response is that like the thing they made is this this film, which is only not the worst film we've ever seen because we've watched some films that aren't really films, you know? Yeah. Which is like saying, you know, I can't call this the worst injury in my life because I've died twice. (laughs) Because Neil Breen and... Jeremy Seville. Jeremy Seville killed me. Jeremy Seville and Neil Breen colluded to assassinate us. Twice. And then, yeah, and Uwe Boll has left us in traction once and plans to again, you know? Um, And since this, uh, since Sarkeesian happened, there has been a noticeable shift in video games uh, towards more games that center women. There are video games like Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, uh, Neil, I cannot remember his surname, the architect of the Last of Us series, has spoken oh, yeah. at length about how um, the second Last of Us game, Last of Us Part 2, was done in direct response to, to Sarkeesian's work right. and in concert with it. Uh, Tomb Raider now has smaller boobs and better games uh, and... That just like like the best like the last six years have just proven this so wrong, and it is so funny. Yeah, well, that, like, it's, it's it's the thing where like the, these these sorts of people always think that stuff is only good stuff is only good because it it is already the way that they like it, and yeah. and change can only make it worse. You have this exact same feeling in the like comedy community as well from like a bunch of the older people. But like, if any of those older people actually engage with what comedy is like now, they, like they in New Zealand, we have a guy called Brendan Lovegrove, yeah, who was like one of our like elder statesman comedians. He, he's been doing comedy for longer than I was alive. He's won Male Comedian of the Year at the Comedy Guild Awards more than any other comedian. Like, he's a very good comic. He runs a bunch of open mics, so he's kind of keeping up with who younger people in the scene are. But he was like a very like right wing guy, still kind of is. Uh, yes, but, but, but he like, he is he is a man who is very much and not without sin. Yeah, um, he has hurt a lot of people. Right, is what yeah, I'll yeah. say. But 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 I'm also not. Yeah, it's no, not me trying to yeah, delete anything like, here about so. there's like complicated stuff with regards to like things he has done in the past. Totally agree with that. But for a like guy who can be fairly reactionary at times, and was like when I met him like six years ago, was like anti-feminist. It was like it was always like out to like shock people and stuff. The way I've seen him evolve the past few years as he engages with younger people in comedy, engages with like women, engages with queer people, engages with non-white people in comedy, and sees what they add to the comedy community has like fully changed almost everything about how he performs his comedy and like interacts with other people. And he is like a funnier and better person now. And, and he will talk about how like now that comedy isn't just fucking straight white dudes all the time. Comedy is more enjoyable. When you have this diversity of voices, you have more interesting work being created. And like, I think if someone like Lovegrove can come to that realization and, and say like, he, he is having a better time in comedy now than at any other point in his career, there is hope. Maybe not the people who made this movie, but the people who funded it at least. You can change and you can realize that there's good shit going on and change 
is a positive a lot of the time. And you, you, you just have to, you just have to like embrace it. And it's not to say that all changes are good, but no, like but ch- ch- change is preferable to stagnation, which is the other option. And yeah, absolutely. When you, I, I have two thoughts on that. One is that the, when you are raised as we all are in a, in a state of racist patriarchy uh, as a white man, when you are the default and everything is shaped for you, it can hurt a lot when things become uncomfortable. Yeah. Because you are not used to that. The shock of it is great. Being told you are wrong can hurt a lot because people often assume you're right because of your privilege and your status. Yeah. And, and, and the way to become a good ally and, and to become a good white man, uh, you know what I mean, it is to understand and when you should step back and listen and that you should understand that, that you can be a good part of the system, uh, uh, but the system can still be bad. Yeah. Uh, and you also need to understand that the way racism and, and, and patriarchy and rape culture and classism and capitalism works is that no one thinks they are the bad guy. We don't think we are the bad guy, but we are. You know? When, when, when I see theatres programming works by inexperienced people, but people having their first time on stage from communities who are not normally there, yeah. there is a second in, in my brain you know, whether that be a, 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 a racial group, a cultural group, um, a twinge in my brain can go like, why will you not fucking program me? I wish I was, you know, whatever. Yeah. But then I stop for a second and I go like, no, it being difficult for me in this moment feels worse because I have had it easy before. Mm. And, and that I recognize that is what stops me making films like this. And the other thing is that, yeah, diversity in, in all ways is an empirical, ethical good. More people should be able to do more things and everything should be more representative, full stop. Yeah. And, and this doesn't matter, but it's true. And it makes shit more interesting. Yeah. Seeing work with a wider variety of voices and tones, performers, styles, languages, is more interesting. There's more flavors in the food, you know? Mm. And even if that wasn't true, diversity is not is a moral good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, even if Anita Sarkeesian was, wasn't right, which, to be clear, I don't think anyone is at this point in what is, I'm going <laughs> to say, a two-and-a-half-hour podcast... Let's say so, yeah. Uh, um, And thinking we don't agree with her, but even if she wasn't right, like video games are better for for being able to play as more women Mm. uh, or more non-binary characters, you know, or allowing relationships to be queer or, you know, and and it's something we all benefit from. And and I'm glad that Jordan Owens apologized in 2020 for making this film. Um, but I hope the main person he has apologized to is himself because he's robbed himself of a lot of wonderful experiences. Um, he is shite, though. He, it yeah, is, yeah. It's a shite film. Like, fuck it's, that. Like, it's absolutely. Nice. Like, it is not even 
it is it's not f- it's there's nothing good about it no um, it's 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 there are like a couple moments where it gets kind of funny for a bit but, but like not not nearly enough it, it is it is not worth watching unless you are like really invested in the like in the like history of far right gamer movements, uh, otherwise there's, there's there's like yeah, th- this is like an interesting and somewhat telling curio about those people. But no, don't 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 watch it. Watch for Big Joel video, Anita Sarkeesian, and the people who hate her. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, and like watch Sarkeesian's videos. They're like yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, like her podcast is a lot better. Right. Like anyway. Um, Finn, do you want to hear a positive review uh, of I, this? I think you'd be uh, hard pressed to find one. Yeah, there's not the, the one five star review on Letterboxd is you'll never guess, but it is a uh, troll for likes. So we yeah. had to go to that's right, the outer limits, the twilight zone. We are on imdb.com. IMDb. Where idiots go to talk about movies. This week's idiot, his name is Viper Bane. <laughs> no, no, of course it is. You didn't need to tell me that. His name was uh, obviously his name was Viper Bane. Okay, I will power through this t- review from the twenty fifth of November, twenty fifteen. Which eighteen out of sixty-one <laughs> users found this review helpful. This is so. kind of the most cogent review I could find, and it is only. I believe seven stars. Yeah. Um, but I think this covers generally the myopic. I, I think this do, I think this review, it's a bit long, but it kind of puts a capstone on everything we've been talking about. And, and Finn, I want to thank you for taking us on that history uh, of this kind of movement. You're a lot closer to it than I was. I've, I've watched the 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 splashback rather than any of the rocks hitting the water you know yeah. <clears throat> the title is low quality but the only response blatant media bias let's get the obvious out of the way this project disclaimer i had no part in funding or promoting this film in any way it had a great premise but drama and inexperience of two main producers greatly reduced the quality of this film no the the drama between them did not reduce the quality it improved it the video quality is mildly put poor you'll find trauma films from the 80s with greater image quality that is very insulting to trauma they shot on film in the 80s yeah so we all about toxic avenger but they put effort into us yeah the audio is absolutely terrible it is quite amazing that they failed the audio with the budget they had available speaking as someone they have filmed that have filmed plenty of youtube videos outdoors and indoors i know firsthand that even a budget microphone and a little bit of knowledge produces a much better end result than this absolutely mm. correct yeah my only you you on you are being recorded right now, Finn, um, by your iMac that is in front of you, and you sound better than. And I'm I'm going to put some voice bo- boosters, going to filter out some noise. You sound better now than anyone in this film at any point. Yeah. My only real complaint is towards the end where a longer narrative part jump cuts numerous times between an animated clip and Anita Sarkeesian talk. And Nita Sarkeesian talking about something that could be referring to many parts of the film. Uh, yes. 
The rest of the framing, camera angles and editing are mistakes commonly made by people new to the production of video making. I will repeat that. The rest of the framing, camera angles and editing are mistakes. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the like closest this film gets to a like signature shot is every time it comes to an interview, just in the bottom corner of the screen, you can see Jordan Owen's hand just in shot and like it is sometimes with a notebook yeah it, it is it's never called attention to uh the the shots are never reframed it is just 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 right right there right, right right in the corner you cannot help but look at it every single time it is uh so infuriating it, it's just and they're all unbalanced yeah it yeah. is yeah um Uh, The same goes for audio levels, but as the captured audio from the interviews are of such low quality from the start, it is not a good place to compare it with the background music that on some few occasions do steal focus. Oh, we didn't talk about the intro credits. Um, Intro credits are great. You are cameras zooming around a, you know, a cork board with red string connecting bits. It looks like it was made in 1980. 85 1986 um the music is relentless and horrific um it's just a real bad time um it's it's following like red string on a cork board and each like each like thing it stops at is either like the name of a person who's going to be in the movie or it's some like picture representing how evil anita sarkeesian is and so it's like it's like connecting all the dots uh, they, there has been no, like, they have not, I have never made anything even close to this scale in any computer effects yeah. um, piece of software. But I even know that a key thing is contro- when you're doing camera moves is controlling speed. And in this, it is either moving at a, a thousand miles an hour or dead still. Right, it is yeah. jarring and painful. My final critique is regarding the length of this film. It needed not be anywhere near the two hours and 36 minutes it is. It can easily be shortened by one hour, if not even more. The message of the film, however one-sided it is, is a necessary one. It counters a blatant media bias. In case you are still oblivious to what is going on, media, mostly but not exclusively limited to games media, openly thinks of and behave towards gamers as, in quotes, loser virgins living in their mother's basements and that they are unwashed, smelly as well as ugly with no prospect of ever leaving home or finding a girlfriend that were also born with white skin so they are privileged class in the western world with all the power with which they are violently oppressing and physically preventing women and minorities from ever being allowed to play even the smallest video game on any console or computer. End quote. As someone who fits uh, most of those descriptors, <laughs> yes, that's, no, that's exactly what's going on. That sounds. I'm, I'm doing that. That sounds quite absurd, does it not? <laughs> <laughs> Even if gamers were just trying to keep women out of gaming, and that was the entire message, then gamers have done an embarrassingly poor job. Since ninety-three percent, sorry, since fifty-three percent of gamers are women in twenty fifteen, according to these very same journalists and media outlets. Who are you debating? You're debating water. This is not like so much a straw man argument as it is like, uh, like, a, like a straw stick figure argument. Yeah. 
It should be made clear that Sarkeesian, the quotes journalist mentioned journalists mentioned in this film, Quinn, etc., have no interest in talking right, so or debating no, this. No, no, neither Anita Sarkeesian nor Zoe Quinn are or claim to be journalists. No. One of them is a culture critic, the other one is a game designer. And writer more broadly. Yeah, she, yeah. she has written comics recently. They're very good. Them uh, have no interest in talking or debating this, hence the lack of their side in this documentary. Their motives are purely financial and their fan, fan base will quickly turn on them if they step out of line. But that is too much to go in depth here. Further, there is no denying the fact that the game's media has been on a crusade spewing hatred on gamers. It in clicks to their websites, which includes which increases their ad revenue. Don't worry, Finn. Only six paragraphs left. Oh, jeez. <laughs> to elaborate I'm, briefly. I'm, 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 I'm supposed to be doing a quiz with my friends on Zoom right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so like, s- late to it. I'm so sorry. Oh, to elaborate. Okay. To elaborate briefly, there is nothing stopping you from being a gamer, despite these journalists' attempt to claim there is. Girls and ethnic minorities have played video games since the start in the 70s with the rest of us, but the main games media have tried from... Oh, no, I'm not reading the rest of this. Okay, anyway, right, yeah. We, 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 get, we get the idea. It is... This person's favorite movies. No one... But it is just... No one thinks any, no one thinks that. Even the most ardent, you know, like even the most ardent um, fucking uh, uh, anti-people would not, don't believe those things. Yeah. And the problem is, is that gamers don't realize how narrow, uh, gamers does not include everyone who plays video games. Yeah. Uh... Sort by top rated. Right. What movies does this person like? They are okay. So this person is on IMDb. Uh, yeah. So uh, one one of their top rated movies is The Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Yeah. Obviously. Um, one is a trilogy. I'll lump it together. Uh, is is it The Stars Wars? Yes. Okay. Two more. I think you can guess one of these without any more clues. <laughs> Um, uh, Flight Club. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the the next one is uh, it stars Tom Hanks. The Green Mile. No. Okay. Dumber. um, Dumber. Larry Crown. (laughs) No. 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 We are at Shawshank. Shawshank. Star Wars. Fight Club. Oscar winner. What is it? What is he doing? Oh, is it Castaway? No. No. Worse. The Terminal. Worse. Worse from the terminal? Yeah. Zemeckis. Oh, fuck. Forrest Gump. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, Uh, no. And because you got those all easily, do you want to guess the next two? Oh, sure. Uh, One is by Quentin Tarantino. Pulp Fiction. Uh, No, no, no. No? Not Pulp Fiction. Not Pulp Fiction. Okay. Uh, Is it Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the next one is the film in which he's back. Uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare? No. Who said he'd be back? Oh, uh, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Ding, ding, ding. So, Finn, what are we watching next week? Uh, next week. Uh, oh, blah. Next week. This is a good one. Uh, ne- next, next week, we are watching Playtime by Jacques Tati. Is yeah, this I, your I'm, first Tati? Yeah, I, I've never seen any Tati oh. before, but I am uh, very excited. 
It's a film where, where, where the director has usually built a city uh, in, in which to make a uh, like a weird slapstick comedy. Yeah, about, and, and, how, about like societal disconnection. Yeah, it's a hipster in Indiki, New York. Yeah, um, and, and, and with that. And with uh, that, we're watching Bean, the ultimate disaster movie. Oh, yeah. Starring Rowan Atkinson. Directed by Mel Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, we, we, we'll hopefully have a guest for, for, for this episode. So, Finn, yes. where can people find you online? Who gives a shit? You can find the show on Twitter at ShitesoundPod, or you can email us at ShitesoundPod at gmail.com. Why not check out our website? It's at shiteandsound.com. If you like what I do, uh, I've got other podcasts. There's one called The Witching Hours, uh, which is a audio drama anthology. And then there's one called The Slow Path, where me and my partner, Briar, watch Doctor Who until we die. Um, yeah. She's making eye contact with me as I say that. She just did two shuckers. Oh, that was peace signs. She's correcting me. Oh. Um, I sent them to my newsletter, The Dean's List, at bit.ly slash youthalives. Our theme song is... The Nux by Kazam Blam. Check them out on Bandcamp. Uh, if you like the show, uh, why not tell your friends? Uh, like and subscribe, share and enjoy. Review us on Apple Podcasts. Movies are good. Except the Sarkeesian effect inside the world of social justice warriors. Go watch them. Deranged, is it Penny Arcade or, or, or Control, control delete? delete? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's that like deranged Control Delete. Fuck, I'll, I'll find it because it's amazing. There's one issue of the webcomic Control Delete, which ends with the author insert character just looking. No, 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 Finn, you, yeah. you have to read the whole thing for us, please. Uh, I'm, I have to do the whole thing. Okay, it's Ethan, the author insert mm-hmm. character, um, talking to the camera, right? So. Mr. Jack Thompson, I hear you're offering $10,000 to charity if anyone makes your video game. Well, I've got a proposal of my own. I have $10 here for anyone willing to make my game. Shall we see whose game gets made first? Here's my pitch. You take control of the protagonist, Tack Johnson, a Bible-whipped attention hall with one foot in the nursing home. Armed with his flapping gums of ridiculously low IQ, Tack declares war on video games. The goal of the game is to shift as much blame onto these games as possible. You get a bonus if you manage to blame World War II on video games. I know that common sense isn't part of your vocabulary, Jack, but I can get statistics and professional opinions just like you. I think there's a scientist holding a stack of money. He says, The numbers clearly show that Jack Thompson eats paint chips. He also sodomizes giraffes. And then the final panel... All friends, it's just staring straight out now. And he says, my name is Tim Buckley. I'm a 24-year-old gamer. I've played every violent game in existence, and I have never killed anyone. There are millions of gamers just like me, and we're getting sick of people like you blaming your problems on us. 
Ignorance causes violence, not video games. Man up and take responsibility. We outnumber you, and the people that think like you don't fuck with us. Uh, that, that's a real thing that a guy uh, wrote and posted and bought made him look good. <laughs>